Welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler, Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well, just like our new friends in the Caribbean island nation of Barbados. I'll just go ahead and assume that means that Rihanna is now a listener, so quick shout out to her. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. And recently, someone actually gave us another five-star rating on iTunes. They didn't write a review to go along with it, but hey, that is fine too. We'll take those five-star ratings all day. So thanks a lot to whoever you are. All right, folks, so we have a very special treat for you this time around. Joining the Raw Attitude Podcast for a record fourth time, he is the host of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast Nitromania series. It is Adam. So, Adam, you haven't been on the show since episode number 28, where we covered King of the Ring, and at that point you were still hosting the Rundown. So would you mind telling the Raw Attitude Podcast fans what Nitromania is and why they should be listening to it? I can't believe it's been that long since I've been on here. Seriously, um, yeah. So, so anyone who doesn't listen to the to the rundown uh, may not be aware. I did step away from that show towards the towards the end of last year because it was just taking up too much of my real life. But uh, as um, as longtime listeners might be aware, I back in the '90s, back in the mid to late '90s, was a staunch uh, World Wrestling Federation viewer supporter. So much so that I would not even think, would not even dream to turn on TNT at any point on Monday. Not even during um, the new generation? Not, not at all. Not uh, even when they were giving you Duke Drosy? <laughs> and, so, uh, and so Nitromania is me going back and watching these episodes of Nitro for the first time ever as they, uh, you know, in, in sequential order from beginning to end. We started on September 4th, 1995. We are now in late May, early June of 1996, and just going through and recapping and giving uh, my thoughts on on the product. Some things, you know, watching things that I've never never seen before. So yeah, and well, if you're on late May of '96, uh, if anybody hasn't listened to Nitro Mania yet, that's the time when it starts to get pretty good. I yeah. dare say, a certain the, person comes through the crowd uh, on one of those episodes and yeah. kind of kickstarts. A lot of interesting things happening. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. No, um, yeah. The next the next episode uh, that's coming out next week. It's every Tuesday on the Rundown feed. Just search Rundown Wrestling Podcast on iTunes or go to QuestNetwork.com. Cheap plug. The next episode that's coming out. Uh, actually, this is going to drop next Sunday. So mm -hmm. the episode that's out currently is going to be uh, if if everything goes according to plan, is going to be Slamboree '96, the Lethal Lottery Battle Bowl tournament thing uh and you have a special guest for that episode i was, you? Yeah, I was just going to mention that that i am recording with uh a someone who is well known to the listeners of this show uh mr martin dixon from the from the uh, new blood rising podcast is uh is going to sit down with me for that one 
Um, but that should be up by the time this goes out, assuming we can, co- you know, coincide our, our time zones and, uh, and get that taken care of. But, uh, yes, the, the episode after that, though, is, uh, very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Yes, indeed. And, uh, and Martin's great, obviously. Anybody, if, if you've listened to Martin on this show before, it's been a little while since he's been on too, but I definitely enjoy having Martin on. So, Martin, if you want to be on again, uh, just let me know. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, he's great, and I'm sure that's going to be a great episode as well. Although I can't guarantee the quality of, what was it, Slambery, did you say, was the pay-per-view? Yeah. I can't guarantee the quality of that, but I'm sure Martin will bring his usual well, quality to that, that let episode. Me- let me just let me all, all I'll tell you all I'll tell you about the show. You'll have to listen in for all the details. But all I will tell you is that it's fifteen matches in three hours. Oh, oh. yeah. So each match is going to be like five minutes long, <laughs> pretty much. Oh, I do know who wins though. I won't spoil it for you, but I do know uh, who ends up winning the <laughs> battle bowl. Do, do you happen to know by any chance? Have I you do, watched well, yet? By the time this goes out, that episode will be are already be up. So of course I, of course there I you go. Okay. But yes, I have. I have watched it. Okay. I was going to ask for a prediction, but never mind. So, And of course, as a quick plug, also for Nitromania, I did a guest appearance on Nitromania where we covered Halloween Havoc 95 and the following night's Nitro. So definitely recommend you check that out as well. So you're really motoring along because I feel like we just did that Halloween Havoc episode only a couple months ago and you're already in May. So, Well, well see, I actually, I, I actually do this every week. So, True. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Takes me a little bit of time. But all right. So. With that being said, are you ready to start the show? Let's do this. Excellent. However, before we get into Monday Night Raw, there is actually a pay-per-view to cover. And no, it is not Rock Bottom, the show they've been hyping on television for the past (laughs) few weeks. We're going to cover that one on the next episode when yours and my good friend Sal from WrestleMania Salvation joins the show. But yeah. the pay-per-view... You, oh, yeah, sorry, God. You told, you told me going into this, you're like, there's a there's a UK-only pay-per-view the night, the night before. You don't have to watch it if you don't want to. Thinking, Not thinking that why that they would have a UK-only pay-per-view the week before they have a regular pay-per-view. Yeah. So clearly a lot of big stuff is going to happen when it's, you know, one week before rock bottom. Oh, yeah. But uh, although I, I say that, but I mean, normally I would skip over the UK-only pay-per-views, but I mean, they are typically uneventful, but... I mean, in this case, there is there are some random, some rather important things that happen on this show. So <laughs> let's let's just dive into it because it is it is much more eventful than I would have expected. So it is Sunday, December sixth, nineteen ninety eight, and we are live from London Arena in London, England. And here are the results: Gangrel defeated Al Snow, the very man who was facing The Rock in the main event of Raw one week prior. So, <laughs> my, how the mighty have fallen. Now he's curtain jerking, losing to Gangrel. The Headbangers then defeated Animal and Draws. And remember, the last time we saw Animal and Draws was three weeks ago on Raw when Hawk was climbing the Titan Tron and Animal was trying to talk him down. <laughs> Draws climbed to the top of the Tron and seemingly attempted to help Hawk. But then he pushed him off, presumably to his death. And yet, for some reason, Animal is still teeming with Draws because I guess he was sick of Hawk too. Maybe he got <laughs> maybe he got tired of constantly hearing every promo start with the word "well." I don't know. So, anywho, the finish of this match came when Draws pushed Animal out of the ring behind the referee's back in an attempt to do a twin magic spot, despite the fact that they look absolutely nothing alike. <laughs> But it ended up backfiring because Mosh then just rolled up draws for the three count. 
And after the match, Animal and Draws got into a shoving match, followed by the two of them actually getting into a pull-apart brawl. So yes, believe it or not, on this UK-only pay-per-view, they did somewhat of a breakup angle with LOD 2000. And sure enough, aside from a few house shows and two episodes of Shotgun Saturday Night, this is indeed the last time we will ever see Animal and Draws team together on either a pay-per-view or a Monday Night Raw. We will see, we do see Draws wrestle on our episode of Raw a little bit later, with Animal accompanying him, but that's about it. Clearly, they got a lot of mileage out of that Hawk suicide angle, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good good thing Russo didn't destroy the legacy of one of wrestling's greatest tag teams for nothing, (laughs) right? Uh, Did did you notice when uh, when the headbangers entered that they didn't actually change the video they were playing on the Titantron? No, I didn't see that. Yeah. Was it the LOD video? The Headbangers entered the Legion of Doom's video. Oh, lovely. And of course, the Legion of Doom still entering to the theme song, beginning with Hawk saying, what a rush, despite (laughs) the fact that Hawk is not in the team anymore. So, yeah, good good continuity. It's it's in memoriam. That's right, yes. Yeah. In memoriam of the man that one of them killed. (laughs) So after that, Val Venus defeated Goldust in a battle of two men who no longer want anything to do with Terry Runnels, I guess is the stipulation. And following that match, we got a promo from Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon, Pat Patterson, and Gerald Briscoe. Apparently, the originally scheduled match for tonight was The Rock putting his WWF title on the line against Triple H, but Patterson then says the lineup has been changed and, quote, Hunter Hearst Hemsley will instead face Jeff Jarrett. And even better, in place of Triple H, The Rock will instead face... X-Pac. Can you imagine buying a ticket thinking you were going to see Rock versus Triple H, <laughs> and instead you get Rock versus X-Pac and Triple H versus Jeff Jarrett? Yeah. Good Lord. Oh, I and then to put the... Uh... Oh, yeah, sorry, God. I just I wrote down in my notes, I said, you know they gave Pat Patterson that announcement just because it was about Hunter Hearst Hemsley. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hunter Hearst Hemsley. Because he, he said it like six times. I know. It, I, I wonder if he just doesn't know or if he just can't pronounce the L. I feel like he could probably pronounce the L, and maybe he just doesn't know. Kind of like how William Regal always said Umanga for some reason. I, I think it's. Know. I think it's a, the French-Canadian accent, I think is what it is. Must be. And then, to put the capper on this segment, Vince McMahon grabs the mic and proceeds to get uncomfortably racist <laughs> as he tells the people of England what he thinks their country's future will be. The future of Great Britain will simply be a cesspool of decay, a cesspool of decadence and debauchery. And in all likelihood, that cesspool, in all likelihood, will be governed by a prime minister of Pakistani extraction. I thank you very much. Mr. Churchill's flipping in his grave right now. You could you could get away with that stuff in 1998, I guess. Yeah. Now, also, when the crowd boos that Pakistani extraction line, I'm going to go ahead and assume they're booing the fact that Vince is going for cheap heat, and they're not booing the potential of having a prime minister with a Pakistani background, right? <laughs> right? Like, that's that's what they were booing? Fingers crossed. Yeah. Let, let, let's just move on. Yeah. So our next match was Edge versus Tiger Ali Singh, and even though the brood are heels, Edge is basically the de facto babyface in this match, since pretty much everyone hates Tiger, <laughs> yeah. and I, I assume that's because he is... 
of Indian extraction. <laughs> but anyway, surprisingly, Tiger picked up the victory when he caught Edge in midair. When he attempted a cross body block, he hit him with a power slam, and then he put his feet on the ropes for leverage to get the pinfall. Spoiler alert, one of these men goes on to be a WWE Hall of Famer. Hmm. Hmm. And speaking of the Brood being treated as baby faces, someone please explain this next match to me, because it was Mark Merrow and Jacqueline versus WWF Women's Champion Sable and Christian. <laughs> I repeat, the Brood are heels, but somehow Christian, the low-level goth guy who just lost his light heavyweight title to Dwayne fucking Gill... Gets to team with the he gets to team with the company's most popular woman and arguably one of the most over people on the entire roster. Figure that shit out. And that's before we even discuss the pairing of Mark Merrow and Jacqueline, which is rather odd since Merrow dumped Jackie two weeks ago on Sunday Night Heat. The UK only pay-per-views, where nothing makes sense but you're forced to accept it because the WWF only comes to your country twice a year. Right. Now, right off the bat, I'll note that Jackie is wearing a t-shirt and tights for this match, and you may want to remember that because <laughs> it's going to come into play in just a moment. So the finish of the match came when Mark Mara ran to the locker room and Christian chased after him. Meanwhile, the two women were left alone in the ring, and Sable quickly ended up hitting Jackie with a sloppy-looking TKO, but it was enough to score the one, the two, and the three. I, I, I refuse. I refuse to believe that she... That she didn't take any lessons whatsoever. <laughs> Wait, you're saying you're saying Sable didn't take any lessons in how to do the TKO, in, or just uh, wrestling lessons in general? In how to wrestle, <laughs> she's a natural. She's a she's a natural in the ring. Oh my god, yeah, that TKO where she she drops to her knee. <laughs> yeah, that looked great. That looked really good. But then, of course, what happens after the match is probably what this pay per view is most remembered for. So when referee Tim White raises Sable's hand in victory, it apparently pisses Jackie off, so she levels White from behind with an elbow, knocking him down on all fours, and from there Jackie then stands over White and starts punching him in the back of the head, so White defensively stands up, with Jackie now perched on his shoulders, and from there, Sable tears off Jacqueline's t-shirt, briefly exposing Jackie's bare breast to the crowd. that she would wear something under the shirt. You would think so, but not quite the case. And I should also note that when she uh, when she gets her shirt torn off and she's still on Tim White's shoulders, did you like that uh, Jackie does a victory roll to, to basically escape from that? <laughs> like, I was thinking like, wow, I'm Owen Hart, WrestleMania 10, all right. So yes, she does. She covers up her chest and she runs backstage. And yes, that's right, folks. This is the first time the WWF ever did intentional nudity and i imagine it was probably easier for them to get away with this in england than it would yeah. be for them to do it in the united states although yeah. they, they certainly do get there eventually though mm -hmm. now speaking of wrestlemania 10 i can't help but shamelessly plug the fact that i was on the wrestlemania 10 episode of wrestlemania salvation over on oh, the yeah. wrestling podcast feed 
Next week, Sal will be here. There you go. That's right. Is he, what's he on? He's on WrestleMania 12 now, I think. Um, yeah, the next the next one that they're doing, he's is doing 12 with Troy. There you go. Oh, all right. Spoiler alert, everybody. So definitely, again, shout out to WrestleMania Salvation. That's a great podcast. And Sal will talk all about that next week as well. But yeah, good show. Also on the Rundown feed. Look for that. Look for that in addition to Nitromania on your Rundown feed. Mm-hmm. And so, also, in case you're wondering, by the way, tying it back to Jackie, yes, they do indeed censor her breasts on the WWE Network. But, of course, I'm sure you can find the uncensored clip in some form or fashion all over the Internet because, you know, boobs. Right. So, Adam, if you're like me, do you remember when the glorious news of this moment hit the Internet back in 1998? You know, I'm not sure that I do. Hmm. I remember it because, I mean... Obviously, it was it was Jackie who probably would not be you know the the top woman you would want to see topless on the roster, <laughs> but I mean by that by at that point when they did that I was like oh shit so this is going to become a thing now you know they, <laughs> they did it this is going to be like every single month we're going to see boobs not quite the case although they they have, they will be teasing it for the rock bottom pay per view as well but that, we'll get to that in a little bit yeah but I definitely remember that being a thing where I was like wow they actually went there because you know Jackie had obviously they've been you know doing things where Jackie like. The, the evening gown match where she basically falls out of her top 600 times during the match with Sable. But, you know, they, they can play that off as, you know, quote-unquote accidental. But this was quite clearly an intentional showing of boobs right. on WWF right. television. Right. So, yeah, it was for a teenage boy like myself, it was, uh, it was a pretty landmark moment. So that's why, that is why Jackie is in the Hall of Fame, clearly. <laughs> exactly. It is this moment that got Jacqueline into the Hall of Fame. Being the first to show her boobs. She's, she's a pioneer, in my opinion. She's a goddamn pioneer. Boobs, boobs, boobs. <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. Jacqueline. Shout out to Jacqueline. She did have a great career. It, it wasn't just for her boobs she got in the Hall of Fame. I'm being facetious. So, uh, I mean, obviously, her, her WWF run could have been better. But, but Miss Jackie Moore, shout out. She's not just a pair of boobs. And so, Adam, one more quick word on this. Specifically on Mark Merrow, this is his final match ever in the WWF. And funny enough, on Nitromania, because you're now in May of 96, that means Merrow has just left WCW at that point. So mm-hmm. essentially, on both of our timelines right now, each one of us is finished with Mark Merrow. That's true, So, yeah. so you, you saw him quite a bit as Johnny B. Bad in WCW. So what were your thoughts on him in that role? You know, honestly, I think he was, uh, he was so pretty, he should have been born a little girl. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. The li- some of the lines he was asked to deliver were were not stellar. But I'm just thinking, like, so this was his last match in the WWF, and he's in London. Like, can we just assume that they like that Vince was like, a, "Hey, hey, Jr. Uh, don't don't book a return ticket for Marrow." <laughs> I was just like, gonna say that. I was just gonna say. I hope they paid his airfare home. Yeah. No, probably not. They just I think they just left him. I think we can assume right now that like that Mark Merrow is still wandering He's, the streets yeah. of London. Yeah. Some some dude walking uh walking around Piccadilly Circus just being like, I'm a chimney sweep now. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Mark Merrow impression. It's really it's, yeah. spot on. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Sable. That's just all all he ever <laughs> I can remember him saying. But uh, pro- probably not a good idea to try to start an impression of Mark Merrow on the very show where he is uh, no longer covered. So that's anyway, on you, man. So that's we'll, on you. That's that's on me. Anywho, 
So next up, Ken Shamrock defended his WWF Intercontinental Championship against Steve Blackman in a match which was, unfortunately, not nearly as awesome as it should have been. (laughs) So Shamrock ended up getting the victory when fellow corporation member, the big boss man, hit Blackman in the ankle with his baton, not the nightstick, but rather a baton he had with him. And he did that behind the ref's back, and Shamrock then put Blackman in the ankle lock to score the tap-out victory. And our next match was Jeff Jarrett against Hunter Hearst Hemsley in a match which I think is retroactively kind of amusing to watch because it's a battle of two guys who will eventually go on to become the owners of wrestling companies. Stay tuned. (laughs) Anyway, as you would expect, Triple H scores the victory with a pedigree in what is actually his first televised match since the September 15th episode of Sunday Night Heat since he had to have that real-life knee surgery shortly thereafter. And speaking of DX... Our next match was WWF Tag Team Champions, the New Age Outlaws, putting their belts on the line against Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown. Now, remember that the corporation has been trying to lure the Outlaws into the mix for a few weeks now, but they did not make an appearance during this match, and as it turned out, the Outlaws didn't need the help anyway, because they successfully retained their titles when Mr. Ass hit D'Lo with a sloppy-looking pile driver. He <laughs> accidentally almost ended dropping it. Like, he almost dropped D'Lo stomach-first like it was one of Cesaro's neutralizers, but still enough to score the three-count. And then, in your second-to-last match of the evening, in a rematch from two weeks ago on Raw, when Shawn Michaels turned heel, The Rock defeated X-Pac, this time via disqualification. Now, China had previously interfered in the match, so Rock shoved her in an attempt to get some payback, but that pissed off Triple H, and Hunter started beating the crap out of the WWF champion outside the ring, but unfortunately he did so right in front of referee Earl Hebner, who called for the DQ. Pretty solid match, though. And also, speaking of The Rock, he actually cuts an amusing promo on this pay-per-view, but I'm going to play that clip on the next episode of the podcast because it ties into something which happens on the following week's episode of Raw, so stay tuned for that. And then, your main event was a fatal four-way, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Undertaker versus Kane versus Mankind. Vince McMahon actually ended up appointing Gerald Briscoe to be the guest referee for this match, and there were supposed to be two special guest enforcers as well, the big boss man and soccer player-turned-actor Vinny Jones. Unfortunately for Vinny, he shoved boss man to the ground before the match could begin, which resulted in Briscoe hilariously pulling a red card out of his referee's shirt and ejecting Vinny. Silly as hell, but I, I did like that spot. I thought that was pretty great. As for the match itself... Briscoe kept finding excuses not to count to three when Austin would cover someone, so eventually Stone Cold just punched him in the face, (laughs) knocking him to the arena floor. Earl Hebner then came out to officiate in his place, and when Austin hit Kane with a stunner, Hebner did indeed count the one, the two, and the three, giving the victory to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm -hmm. And after the match, the red-carded Vinnie Jones returned to ringside to provide some backup for Austin. So with the boss man attempting to interfere, Vinny kicked him in the stomach, which allowed Stone Cold to hit boss man with a stunner. Austin, Vinny, and, for some reason, Earl Hebner <laughs> then all celebrated in the ring with beers after the match. And by the way, Vinny Jones was rocking the classic turtleneck and chain look, as though he was The Rock in that classic photo from 1994. Also, future WWE Films fans may enjoy the sight of Stone Cold and Vinny Jones celebrating together, nine years before they would reunite to film The Condemned together, which I believe you actually saw, right, Adam? <laughs> uh, I own it on DVD. I haven't seen it yet. But that uh, that stands for a lot of my DVD collections. So. 
the, so you're saying the condemned didn't <clears throat> skyrocket to the top of your your must see list? <laughs> no, no. So so basically, I think the condemned was 2007. So it's been 11 years, and it's still <laughs> still haven't watched it. Listen, I'm a busy man. Okay. Oh, I, I clearly you were juggling several podcasts at a time. So. <laughs> There was, yeah, something, I, I, there was something leading leading into this match that you actually kind of glossed over. So, yeah, Gerald Briscoe was the special referee. But Shane McMahon comes out and says that he's the special guest ring announcer. And he brings out Patterson was, the, I think, the guest timekeeper. And yep. then you had Bossman as the enforcer. But then, so Shane announces Briscoe and Patterson and Bossman and, and all that. But then for the match itself, Tony Chimmel goes back to being the ring announcer. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah, that was kind of strange. I think they were going for, um, if you remember Over the Edge 98 back in May when like Vince was the special ref and Briscoe was the timekeeper right, and Patterson right, was the ring right. announcer. I think they were going for something similar here, but um, obviously not quite not quite as much interference from all the participants. We right. got a, a little bit of it, but yeah, it wasn't as overbooked. Although I will say Over the Edge 98, that, that match with uh, Austin and Dude Love is pretty fucking fantastic. Yes. That is like, that is overbooked to the nth degree but it's overbooked so well that you can kind of forgive it with uh you know vince getting knocked out in austin counting the three with vince's with hand, hand. <laughs> oh, so yeah. clever especially with vince saying before the match where he's like this match can only end by my hand right and it's like right. there you go that's that was perfect so but anyway also, so adam yeah, also, oh yeah go ahead. i also wrote down that i don't know who vinnie jones is but he looks like a doctor who villain and also <laughs> and also i want his jacket yes the, the nice leather jacket yeah it was a nice so, jacket yeah. So you've never seen a Vinnie Jones movie? I can't say that I have. You've never seen whatever that X-Men movie was where he was Juggernaut? <laughs> or uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels? I haven't, but that's on the list, though. I do want to see that at some point. Yeah, he's, he's been some other shit. I can't even think of what else he's been in, but probably I guess probably that X-Men movie was probably the highest profile one since those make a shitload of money, but... Yeah, if you want to see Vinnie Jones say, I'm the Juggernaut, bitch! That's... <laughs> That's another, the movie to see. Another spot-on impression. Exactly. First Marrow, now Vinnie Jones. I mean, who knows who's going to be next? I guess we'll see. Is is Vinnie Jones related to Nathan Jones? <laughs> yes, he is. Okay. Although Nathan Jones, I will give a shout-out to Nathan Jones being in Mad Max Fury Road, which is <laughs> amazing. That's a really good movie. So watch watch the movie, not just for Vinnie, or for Nathan Jones, but watch it for the fact that it's fucking awesome. Also, he's in, I think it was, I think it was Alexander. It was either Alexander or Troy, one of those two. One Troy. of those two movies that came out at the same time. He was. Yep, the, that's he, the one. Nathan Jones was the first one to die in that movie. Yeah, literally. I think he fights Brad Pitt and takes like a dagger to the neck in like two <laughs> seconds. So, so even in the world of movies, Nathan Jones is jobbing. So right, consistent. But Adam, since you were such a, a trooper and you were nice enough to actually watch Capital Carnage here, what's your verdict? Would you give it a thumbs up, thumbs down? Sure. <laughs> Thumbs is, in the middle. I, I feel like I feel like like the UK like Sky Sports must be a month or two behind on their storylines, which is why this, a lot of this doesn't seem to make sense in context with what's going on, you know, on Raw and on our side of the pond these days. But uh, it was uh, it was a decent show. I mean, it's not going to knock anybody's socks off. And obviously, I, I don't know if we can clarify, call it a pay per view because I'm pretty sure it airs for free on on Sky Sports over there. But uh, it was okay. Yeah. I mean, anytime, anytime X Pac gets a title shot, I mean, you know, that's that's ha. that's good. <laughs> Surprisingly, though, if you watch that match, the crowd is actually really into it. 
which is kind of crazy if you think about it. Like the crowd, the crowd, I guess, I guess Rock is such a good heel or DX is so over or just a combination of the two that they're actually kind of into it. And right. I, I'm I'm just trying to think of what would happen if they had put X Pac over as the WWF champion in the UK. <laughs> like I I don't even know. I suppose they could have switched it back at a house show in between. But I mean I'm trying to think of like the reaction. Like if the crowd is like yeah go X Pac and then he wins, would they still be like yeah good? <laughs> I feel I feel like there would have been like this huge explosion, you know, of cheer because the Rock because the Rock lost the belt because the Rock was such a solid heel at this point. It was just so great doing the the corporate champion thing. Absolutely. But then, but then I feel like that would that would last for a few minutes, and then that would die down, and everybody would go, "Wait, who's the fucking champion?" Yeah. Although I will also say, one, the only other time I can ever remember X Pac getting a title match. Do you remember back on Raw, and I think it was '94 when he and Brett just had a match on Raw? It was probably like 15 to 20 minutes where Brett was the champion, and it was basically done. Maybe it was '93. Like the whole point of it was to put over X Pac or you know one two three kid at the time as yeah. this legitimate threat, and <laughs> I was. Like, I, I remember at the time being like super into that match and being like, holy shit, the, the one, two, three kid is really keeping up with Brett. It made him look like a million bucks. It was an awesome match. So the, the only two times X-Pac has ever gotten a WWF title shot, he's brought the goods, I guess. So, <laughs> But I'm pretty sure there isn't another time after this. I could yeah. be wrong, but I think, I think he mostly stays at that European title level. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember that match. I do remember Bret Hart versus the Patriot. During his oh. big heel days before before the screw job, and that I was I do, zero. I do remember watching that and thinking, "Are they going to put the title on the Patriot?" Yeah, seriously, I remember that pay per view well. That was that was Ground Zero in September '97, and I was even though Brett was like super Canadian at the super you know pro Canadian anti American at the time. Even back in '97, I was like, "Oh, I fucking love the Hart Foundation. They better not put the title on Patriot." Right. <laughs> And I remember actually in that match, Bret Hart, he wins clean with the sharpshooter over the Patriot, which I didn't think they would do because Patriot was kind of booked like a, you know, like kind of like a monster those, those first two months. Not a monster, but he was booked as like a convincing threat. Right. And I was like, wow, Patriot just went out like a total bitch. <laughs> just, he just gave right up in the sharpshooter. Yeah. So this is, this is Bret how much, Hart even managing. This is how much of a mark I was at that point. And this will come back. There's a, there's something on Raw that we're going to need to talk about that will that will bring this up again. How much of a fucking mark I was in the mid nineties. Oh, hell I yeah. remember I used to call. Uh, you know how they had you know the WBA superstar line and whatnot. Uh, sure. I I would sneak downstairs and call that from from the phone downstairs from my grandpa's phone because uh, they used to say you know the first minute was free. I didn't realize that the first minute was the part where you're cruising through the menus to pick which option you want. Right. So I would, so I ended up charging a whole bunch of individual dollar thirty nine charges to my grandfather's phone bill. <laughs> um, but then there were also these 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 eight hundred numbers that were done by just random folks on the internet, just you know giving their commentary and whatnot. I used to call those every goddamn day and be like, Damn "What did this right. guy put on something new yet? Did this guy." And it was so fucking bad. Like there was one guy who was totally ripping off Bret Hart's thing, you know, calling America, you know, a toilet and all this. And I was just, I would call it every goddamn day. Just to hear a guy say that uh, America was shit. America's a toilet and I'm going to flush it. <laughs> and it was, so this was like a call in line. You would, yeah, it was just, call? it was oh, just okay. like an 800 number that this guy, that this guy had set up. Just some rando on the internet that I, that I had found somehow. I, I dare say you might have wasted your money on that one. Well, thankfully, that one was free. But oh, good. Okay. I definitely wasted money on the Superstar line. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. I assume that first minute was probably like, 
to hear the <laughs> news about D-Lo Press 1. It stretched that puppy out. I feel like that was a joke on The Simpsons at one point. Maybe not. Anyway. Yeah. Something similar to that, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was the first minute from when you pushed the option for what you wanted to listen to. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oopsie. <laughs> Apparently, apparently, uh, Mean Gene on his uh, hotline number, whatever it was back in WCW, he fucking raked in the cash on that thing. I bet. Oh, yeah. So, well, now, unfortunately, it is time for the tragic portion of the evening. <laughs> so, Adam, are you at all familiar with Jim Ross's ordeals when Capital Carnage was going on? Uh, we uh, we talked about it briefly via text message before this, and because I had heard, you know, what they what you mentioned last week, and then what you had uh, what they they briefly mentioned during Raw, but I did not remember yep. specifically what uh, what was going on. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to read directly from a blog entry that Jr. wrote on his website, jrsbarbecue.com. This is back on May 8, 2011, the date which Mother's Day fell on that year. And he explains why that particular holiday is so difficult for him. So here's what he wrote. Mother's Day brings back a cascade of memories for me as I was in London, as I recall, when word came from the States from my wife that my mama had suddenly died of a heart attack at the age of 64. This info was received a few hours prior to a WWE-produced UK pay-per-view. The McMahon family offered to fly me home immediately so I could attend to my mom's funeral arrangements. Knowing my mother's work ethic and love of the genre, I opted to stay in the UK, do my job, and then come home the next day to deal with the funeral arrangements. The only thing that I wasn't expecting was to come down with my second bout of Bell's palsy while I was actually on the air live during that particular show. Oh. It w yeah. It wasn't the greatest weekend on record for me personally, but I did have the greatest mom one could ever ask for, as she loved me unconditionally, supported my passions almost to a fault, and gave me an unrelenting work ethic and a no-BS approach to many aspects of my life. So, yes, not only did J.R. receive the news about his mother dying when he arrived in London, the stress of that event caused him to suffer his second bout of Bell's palsy live on the air during Capital Carnage. Now, apparently having Bell's palsy twice is incredibly rare, but according to some information I could find about it, quote, Studies suggest that a new activation of Bell's palsy could be preceded by trauma, environmental factors, and metabolic or emotional disorders, thus suggesting that a host of different conditions may trigger reactivation. So certainly, I think it's safe to say we could lump this under the trauma category in JR's case. Yeah. You had just mentioning that actually just reminded me as I was, as I was watching the show, uh, you know, taking the, the few notes that I did take about the, the, the Capital Carnage show, just thinking like towards the end of it, thinking just thinking about how god jr really sound really really slurring tonight yep oh okay yeah yeah no i i don't know the exact moment right. during the pay-per-view when he suffers the recurrence but i mean if you're familiar with his history with the condition you know that one of the side effects of bell's palsy is obviously the inability to control the muscles in your face which can obviously make it difficult to speak so right. with that in mind, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play side-by-side -side clips here of JR commentating near the beginning of Capital Carnage and then again at the very end. And just to be clear, I'm obviously not doing this to make fun of the poor guy. Right, I'm doing it just to, yeah, I'm doing it to point out that he was a complete trooper yeah, to agree. No not, not, Jesus. First of all, he's, he's a trooper to, number one, not only agree to commentate the show after learning about the death of his mother, but also continue commentating while he's suffering the debilitating effects of facial paralysis. So <laughs> take a listen. Take a listen to these side-by-side -side quotes and see if you can notice the difference in his speech from the beginning uh, and the end of the broadcast. Whoa! Irish whip, far side. Nobody there for Val Venus. 
This should be a spirited offensive-minded contest. And Valvinas goes up and over from the clothesline and meets Goldust coming outside. And they weren't happy when they left either, JR. Stone Cold overcame all the odds. He hurdled every obstacle. He climbed every mountain. And he won the final four-way here at Capitol Party. Oh, what a night it has been. So, Adam, what do you think? Newfound respect for Jr. Oh, I've, I mean, I've always had respect for Jr. But, but Jesus, yeah, that's I had no idea. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I still can't believe he would even agree to commentate the pay per view. But yeah, yeah, though, pretty, pretty to, tragic stuff. To be fair, that 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 late in the game in London, who were they really going to get to replace him though? Yeah, probably Cole because he was there. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about Cole during Raw. Yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> well, and and on that note, unfortunately, because of that latest Bell's palsy flare-up, we won't be hearing from Jim Ross on commentary for several mm. months, which is obviously yeah. quite a downer. Uh, however, the good news is, I promise you, he will be back at the commentary table eventually, sitting right alongside Jerry Lawler where he belongs, because right. you can't keep good old JR down for long. <laughs> but so, with that being said, Adam, are you ready to get into this episode of Monday Night Raw. Before we before we get to that, I do want to I do want to throw something out here. I uh, I picked this episode of Raw because you know we'll talk about it, uh, the very end of the show here. But uh, I want to give a just a quick shout out to Lee Carlos Cunningham. I, uh, I he might be the only person I have ever heard who enjoys uh, the Deadly Game more than I do. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I love that Survivor Series. I think that's one of my favorite pay-per-views of all time and you guys you guys covered it so well i think in that episode the whole the whole you know screw job situation that whole conspiracy with the rock and the corporation and all that um so i i was i was mad that he you know sniped that out from under me before uh before <laughs> i could claim that episode but i think you guys did uh, did it great justice and uh and oh, i really enjoyed you. i really enjoyed that episode so i had to settle for second place here which is what happens at the end of this show but uh yes let's Let's dive right in, shall we? I think it's a very strong second place at the end of the show. This is a very famous moment. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that that show with Lee Carlos Cunningham, we could we could have had you join as well, and it might have been a five-hour podcast <laughs> yeah, instead no of three. Kidding. Yeah, and I say that, by the way, as a good thing, because I uh, we're no strangers to going along here, and I am A-OK with that. Yeah. So, and Lee, in fact, this episode will go pretty long, I imagine. Yeah. And Lee, anytime, if you ever want to come on Nitromania, please let me know. There you go. There you go. Lee Carlos Cunningham now has an invitation to Nitromania. So whatever the next pay-per-view may be. What, what is the next pay-per-view on the timeline? It's not uh, Bash at the Beach. I know that. We're already, I'm, I'm already booked with a co-host for Great American Bash. Then comes Bash at the Beach where I'm going to do a group thing because it's – I'm sure you know why. Uh, and then I, <laughs> I think I so, yeah. I, I don't know the schedule, so I don't know what's after Bash at the Beach in August, but we'll, get, we'll, we'll go from there. Oh, I think I think what comes after Bash at the Beach is Hog Wild, the pay-per-view where Eric, <laughs> where Eric right. Bischoff wants to go out to Sturgis so a bunch of motorcycle <sighs> assholes can rev their bikes and fuck up the show the yeah, entire I'm time. Sure, I'm sure that'll be a great one. Yeah, because, you know, Bischoff is so fucking cool with his motorcycles. Mm-hmm. The last the last two episodes of Nitro that I've watched, he's worn this, like, this leather vest just at the commentary oh, desk, just wearing a leather, just wearing a leather vest over whatever shirt he's wearing. I'm like, you oh. look like a fucking tool. And also, Big Bubba, who is... Who, you will know as the big boss man. Big Bubba Rogers has started dressing as a as a gay biker daddy. I don't know what to, oh. I don't know what to do with that information. That's off. That's very progressive of WCW for <laughs> 1996. 
Especially given they're mostly Southern audience. You, so. you, you say progressive, I say disturbing. You know, it's one or the yeah. other. Yeah, there you go. Well, so with that being said, are you ready to dive into Monday Night Raw? Let's, shall we? Let's do it. So it is Monday, December 7th, 1998, and we are pre-taped six days in advance from New Haven Coliseum in New Haven, Connecticut. Some of the other noteworthy events which have taken place in this same venue include three episodes of Wrestling Challenge in 1987, the pilot episode of SmackDown in 99, which we're going to get to in the coming months, and a whopping 11 episodes of Monday Night Raw, including one that we've already covered on our timeline, the January 5th, 1998 Raw, which was covered in episode number three of this podcast. Ah, were were we ever so young? (laughs) Well, it's it's now, Connecticut. It's, it's home base. And when the business isn't doing well, you go near where your office is because it's cheap. Yeah. Oh, you mean like uh, shout out to WrestleMania Salvation, WrestleMania 11, <laughs> which took place in fucking Hartford. I, I actually texted Sal about that. I was like, did you say 16,000? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, they weren't doing the big arenas at that point. No. I'd probably even question that they got 16,000 people for that show. <laughs> It's a long way from WrestleMania 3 when they had, quote-unquote, 93,000. I wonder why they didn't announce that attendance on the show. (laughs) Yeah. A a record-breaking crowd for the Hartford Memorial Coliseum or whatever the fuck it was. (laughs) A a record low for WrestleMania. Exactly. Now, now everybody get out because uh, we have a Whalers game tomorrow that we have to... (laughs) We've got to clean the arena. Uh, R.I.P. Hartford Whalers. Can any of you pitch in and need to help take the ring apart? Anybody? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. WrestleMania and Hartford. If that ever happens again, something has gone seriously, seriously, <laughs> seriously wrong. Seriously wrong. Well, anywho. So remember now, this episode of Raw was actually taped on December 1st. So this is five days before Capital Carnage and five days before Jim Ross's life went to shit. But JR is not commentating this show, and instead Michael Cole was filling in for him. So why is that? Well, even though Raw was pre-taped six days in advance, I believe the commentators typically record their commentary on the day the episode airs because they like to have the option of sneaking in those topical references to make the show seem like it's live. Of course. And so, be- Of course, yeah which we get to in a little bit on the show. Um, and so because the commentary is actually being recorded the day after Capital Carnage, JR is obviously no longer available, and Michael Cole is filling in for him. So you got all that? Got all that straight? I wondered why we never went to the commentator's table during the show. Yeah, although you can see him in the background at one point, <laughs> though, which, which I will point out. There is a moment because JR and Lawler were at this show where you can see JR at the commentary table at one point, even though obviously Michael Cole is doing the commentary. So... Mm-hmm. I was thinking of that too, how, how strange it is that like, so JR and Lawler were there in person for this taping, but then they do the commentary six days later. So basically, what are, what nor- are they doing? They, they kind of, yeah. Like, are, are they just like at the time pretending, I guess they're pretending to see it all live when we hear those pre-taped episodes because they're, they've already seen the shit. They were there. Mm. So really, really bizarre. And they're just, they're just so, sitting at the table, you know, exchanging, you know, brownie recipes. and Exactly. I, Made a, made a really great apple brown Betty last night. That's supposed to be JR. I don't know. That's n- not as strong as my Vinnie Jones, I'll grant you. <laughs> or your Mark Merrow. Or my Mark Merrow. So we begin with a recap of some of the events from last week's episode of Raw, including Stone Cold hitting The Undertaker in the head with a shovel, Austin and Kane throwing Paul Bearer down a sewer, and the big boss man beating Mankind in a ladder match with substantial help from The Rock to become the new WWF Hardcore Champion. 
Michael Cole's narration then informs us that tonight, Stone Cold and Mankind will team up to face The Undertaker and The Rock, so we have our main event all lined up on our go-home show before this Sunday's rock-bottom pay-per-view. So cue up the opening credits, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Some of the noteworthy signs tonight include... Kane is my dentist. <laughs> I, I love Paul Bearer. D-Lo, you B-Lo. HBK equals... Yeah. HBK equals huge butt kisser. Abbreviations are fun. And my personal favorite, the redhead kid farted. <laughs> so... So Adam, were there uh, were there any you noticed that I happened to miss? I didn't. I didn't actually note any uh, any signs during the during the scan. I, I I fell down on the job. I apologize. Yeah, it's it's tough to top the redhead kid. It, it is. Anyway, You're right. So, it's yeah, true. yeah. So <laughs> I'm I'm picturing like a guy like just coming to the crowd, like coming to the show, like not even with his redhead friend, just like <laughs> trying to find a seat next to a redhead. Just writing to the, be like, oh. writing the sign, going, oh, I hope, oh, I hope. Yeah. Uh, what are the odds of a redhead? Probably, probably pretty good, I guess. Somewhere in here. I better take a marker. If I'm right next to one, I can draw an arrow. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so we open the show with Degeneration X's music playing, but only Triple H, X Pac, and China come to the ring. The New Age Outlaws are not with them, so perhaps the corporation has indeed managed to pluck them from DX. And on that note, Triple H begins by calling out the outlaws and saying that if they have sold out, they should at least have the balls to tell him to his face. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, that does indeed bring out Road Dogg and Billy Gunn, who are dressed in full business suits yes. and drinking and drinking tiny bottles of water. And with, amusingly, with the pinkies oh, up. Oh, yeah, sir. With the pinkies up, yes. Uh, amusingly, Cole and Lawler say that drinking bottled water is, quote, Corporate all the way, which I find entertaining since bottled water becomes such a huge focal point of Triple H's entrance in the future. <laughs> so I guess there was a lot more truth in that statement than they had planned is what I'm saying. I think so. Shoot comments that aren't meant to be shoot comments. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, Road Dog and Billy keep a safe distance by standing at the top of the ramp and the D-O-double-G begins by doing his usual ladies and gentlemen spiel. However, instead of DX proudly presenting your WWF Tag Team Champions of the World, Road Dog says that Vincent K. McMahon presents them instead. And even worse, they have now been given the names of Badass Inc. and Road Dog Esquire because uh, apparently Mr. McMahon now has the power to give Jesse James a law degree, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe his first client can be Draws since he should likely be brought up on murder charges soon. Ooh. And to top it all off, Road Dog refers to the team as the new corporate outlaws although i have to ask can you really be both corporate and an outlaw <laughs> it seems like those two things would be at odds with each other but billy gunn then puts the capper on the intro by saying if you're not corporate you can damn sure suck it and then road dog proceeds to bring out your new wwf commissioner sean michaels hmm. So HBK and the Corporate Outlaws then enter the ring, and from there, we get a war of words between Shawn Michaels and Triple H, two of the original members of DX, so I'm just going to play this promo for you here, because I think it's pretty great stuff. First of all, Triple H, if you want to talk about who does or who doesn't have balls around here, let's start with you. Uh-oh. Let's go back in time to the birth of D-Generation X. I mean, let's face it. 
The Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels is the founding father of D-Generation X. I beg to differ. What do you mean? That's the truth. Both of them were. And as far as I'm concerned, I think you at least owe me an apology. If for nothing else, I would think gimmick infringement. True again. No, let's get this straight. I owe you nothing. You don't owe me anything. You don't owe me for riding my coattails virtually all of your careers. Oh. You don't owe me for turning you into a somebody when you were an absolute nobody. A nobody. Let me think back. I think it was me that was carrying your dead ass around while you were trying to walk around with a belt that you had no business carrying anymore. Uh-oh. Whoa. She's getting hot. And after WrestleMania, when you got burnt, it was me that picked up the ball. Oh, no. No, 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 no. You didn't pick up the ball. In fact, I've had balls you'll never have. And let me tell you something, punk. I made you, and I can break you. Whoa. Let's get this straight, Sean. The only thing broken down around here is your ego, little man. Oh, no. And if you didn't get it, let me break it down for you. Because I've got two words for you. Uh-oh. Suck it. Watch it. Whoa. Well, seeing as that I am the new commissioner of the World Wrestling Federation, I've got something you can suck on. You and your little buddy X-Pac here will have the privilege of taking on the big boss man and Ken Shamrock in a tag team match tonight. Whoa, Whoa man! Now, now you've like... stolen a lot of my lines before, but you remember that little ditty we had, you make the rules and we'll break them? Well, you don't have to worry about breaking the rules. This will be an anything-goes match. And if the New Age Outlaws happen to get involved, well, then so be it. Now, hit my music. What about that? And from there, HBK and the Outlaws then walk back up the ramp where they're greeted by Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon, Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe, and Sergeant Slaughter. And as you heard there, we now have a tag match set for tonight. Triple H and X-Pac 
versus WWF Intercontinental Champion Ken Shamrock and WWF Hardcore Champion The Big Boss Man in what Shawn Michaels referred to as an anything-goes match. So will the new corporate outlaws make their presence felt during that encounter? I guess we shall see. I guess so. so. Adam, indeed. Uh, so, Adam, what did you think of this opening segment? Uh, pretty good. I actually do not, didn't remember this actually having happened. Do you think the girl in the New Age Outlaws tits, do you think she was a plant? Um, yes, yeah. I do think so. <laughs> she, did yeah, a really good, she did a really good boo-boo face when they came out, though. I'll give her credit for that. Yeah, because they show her at the beginning, like, when the Outlaws, I think when the Outlaws music plays, they, like, show her, and uh, she's she's happy the Outlaws are coming out. And then when we see that they're dressed in business suits, they do another <laughs> pan back to her, and she's like, boo, thumbs down, yeah. they're corporate now. So, so yes, I think that I think she was probably a plant, yeah. I, like like most of the women who show their boobs yeah. on uh, in the audience. Yeah. That was a thing for a while over the summer, and they haven't been doing it much since then. Where Triple H requests for the uh, boobies yeah. to be shown. Well, it's December; it's a lot colder. So that's true. Yeah. Well, isn't that the best time to show them? If you think about it, <laughs> I I remember being such a fan of Commissioner Michaels back in the day. Uh, going going so far as that I, I actually I bought the or I had my parents buy the the Commissioner Michaels action figure, even though it only had like oh. two points of articulation. Holy shit! The, you the, could, he had an action figure. He did as Commissioner Michaels. It was he was wearing a brown suit and a and a brown cowboy hat, but his he he in his one hand held a briefcase, and the other had a microphone. And the arm with the microphone it bent at the elbow and it moved at the shoulder. So you could bring the microphone up to his mouth, but that was it. That's all the action figure did was microphone up, microphone down. That was it. And if you put the microphone to his mouth, he would say, I got news for you. That's what it is. Play my music. Yes. Yes. That's right. Oh my God. I love that. And then the DX theme plays because obviously it's his music. Hunter looking a little puffy tonight, by the way. Do you know that? I, I don't know what you're getting at. A little puffy. Hmm. So after a quick commercial break, we cut backstage where we see an angry X-Pac kicking chairs around the locker room. Triple H then tells China that she needs to make her presence felt in case any corporation members attempt to interfere. Of course, they are roughly outnumbered 514 to 3, so that may be easier said than done. And from there, we kick into our first match of the evening, and yet again, we're getting a heel versus heel match for some reason. Jeff Jarrett, accompanied by Deborah McMichael, versus D'Lo Brown, accompanied by Mark Henry. Now, before the match, we get a quick recap from last night on Sunday Night Heat, where Goldust challenged Jarrett to a striptease match at rock bottom. If Jarrett wins, Goldust will get naked, but if Goldust wins, Deborah will get naked. And certainly that's a stipulation that will definitely pay off no oh, question absolutely. no question there not at all and also last night on heat jarrett faced mark henry and double j ended up getting the win via disqualification when Delo grabbed jarrett's guitar and smashed him in the head with it i'll also note that i find it kind of funny that england was watching a pay-per-view last night but back here in the states there was an episode of sunday night heat featuring many of the same wrestlers who were on <laughs> that same pay-per-view that's a that's some inception shit right there wow no <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> is there a van falling slowly somewhere? What's going on? So one thing I'll note is that D'Lo is still wearing that chest protector, but his opponents have all seemingly stopped selling it by now. Because early <laughs> on, early on when he first started wearing it, his opponents would like make contact with him and they would get hurt because the chest yeah. protector was quote unquote loaded. But in, this, <laughs> but in this match, we saw Jarrett knee him in the stomach, and D'Lo sold it. So perhaps the chest protector is no longer loaded. I wish they had covered that on uh, Pro Wrestling's Greatest Secrets Revealed a few months ago. <laughs> Jerry Jerry Lawler's still selling it, though, for the finish. 
That's true. Yeah, that's true. And another thing I'll note is that D'Lo is still really bad at power bombing oh, people. Oh, Jesus. I, I, noted, I made a note of that as well. Holy yeah. Shit. Yeah, he tries it with Jarrett here and almost drops him right on his fucking neck. And mm-hmm. we saw we saw him do the same thing to Val Venus at SummerSlam a few months ago. And I only point this out because we know that D'Lo ends up severely injuring someone with that same sloppy-looking powerbomb further down the line. And I'm just saying, the signs were there long in advance. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, retroactively, I cringe every time I see him attempt a powerbomb. Very creepy, you know, knowing what we now know. And shortly after that spot, Goldust comes out from backstage wearing nothing but a trench coat, and yes, he proceeds to expose himself to Deborah because, you know, he's the good guy in this scenario. <laughs> so this also distracts Jarrett, which allows Delo to roll him up from behind, with the expert cameraman completely missing the three counts. <laughs> so your winner is Delo Brown, and they play his brand new I Think You Better Recognize theme song afterward, so, Adam, what did you think of this match, and do you enjoy Delo's theme song? I, I commented on that during Capital Carnage, actually, in my notes for Capital Carnage. That's my alarm for HQ, by the way. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> saying that I, I'd forgotten about that mediocre... Uh, <laughs> I'd forgotten all about this terrible version of the nation theme. Yeah. Yep. I think you better recognize... Yep, I make I think, a note of that. I think... I think you better recognize... Yeah. Um, I think I made a note of this last week. I think it was the last episode where when you when you see D'Lo and Mark Henry's Titantron, it still says The Nation it does. in it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, still can't let go. Can't let go of the good times. Going going back to the to the quick just after the commercial break when they, you know, they flash the sponsors. Uh Rock Bottom this Sunday presented live by Glover. Glover. Re- remember Glover? I Neither do for, does anybody else. I do remember it because I had it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't. I don't I, think I ever really played I it meant, that much. I meant to go. I meant, I meant to do a quick Google search and see what score that had on like Metacritic, and I never got around to it. But I'm sure it was awful. Um, yeah, but yeah, that that was my only other big note from this match was goddamn that power bomb was scary. Yeah. Oi. Yeah. Oh, and also, and also, D'Lo pinned a WWE Hall of Famer. That's true. Oh, it's funny you say that because I was actually going to bring that up because since we <laughs> since we did just watch a Jeff Jarrett match, I, I think now's as good a time as any to ask. Do you think Jeff Jarrett should be a WWE Hall of Famer back here in 2018? Yeah, I mean, if you – I'm going to plug a, a podcast that's not actually one that I'm at all involved in. If you listen to the to the wrestling podcast about nothing, they kind of talked about this uh, was this week or last week and how the WWE Hall of Fame at this point is really – become more of given that they now own basically everything has now become more of a professional wrestling hall of fame more than it yep. ever was a wwe hall of fame so yep. i am I, I am perfectly fine with jeff jarrett being a wwe hall of famer i mean for god's sakes tatsumi fujinami is a wwe hall of famer and he didn't right. do shit in wwe right. ever so i yeah. i have no, i have no issues with it yeah i'm just same. i'm just interested how they're going to get around the whole tna gfw thing during his induction speech yeah i was wondering that too if they'll actually let him mention tna in the in the speech at this point i don't see why they wouldn't because the tna is literally zero threat to them whatsoever <laughs> i mean even even when they went head-to-head on monday nights for that brief period and whatever it was 2010 2011 tna was no threat to them then yeah. so now we're eight years on and i, I don't even i assume impact is still on the air on one of those channels but um, it's on it's on pop tv i think well there you go i rest my case so yeah. i i feel like they should be able they, they should allow allow jarrett to mention tna because it's 
there's there's no point in being like, oh, don't mention that company that uh, literally you know has a fraction of our audience. We wouldn't we right. wouldn't want to you know get people watching them because they're not going <laughs> they're not going to. Yeah. But yes. So yeah, I, I'm also of the opinion it's totally fine for Jarrett to be a Hall of Famer because yeah, like you said, I mean when guys like Antonio Inoki and Carlos Colon are in the WWE Hall of Fame. I mean, what, obviously, when and, Russo goes over to WCW and starts booking Jared, it's like a four, I think he's a four-time WW, WCW champion, I should say. And obviously, when he's in TNA, he's, I think, like six-time champion because... He's the king of the know, mountain. He's the king of the mountain, right. So, I mean, if you're talking about a 10-time world champion, you know, and especially a career like Jarrett's that's lasted, I think, almost 30 years. He debuted in the WWF in like 92, 93. And of course, he was active wrestling before then. I think absolutely he's a worthy Hall of Famer. You know, I mean, his his career is they they've put in the fucking bushwhackers. They put yeah, in, that's, they put in was, Coco Beware. That was that was the other thing I was going to make. Rikishi and Coco Beware are in the WWE Hall of Fame. Exactly. So it's not that high a bar to clear, yeah. really. And, and fucking uh, uh, Hillbilly Jim is going in too, isn't he? <laughs> yes. Speaking of which, I don't know if you follow uh, at James Vanderbeek on uh, no. on Twitter. Uh, it's not the real James Vanderbeek. It's a guy. Oh. It's a, that's just the Twitter name. It's like J I M J A I M S Vanderbeek is the is the the name. But his uh, he 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 changes his uh, his not his you know username but his display name and his and his icon from time to time to various uh, wrestling related puns. And uh, the current one is Hillbilly Jim Morrison, and oh. so the, his icon is a picture of Hillbilly Jim, but with Jim Morrison's face in it. And I think it was Shane Douglas started tweet. Somebody asked him, you know, if he knew Hillbilly Jim and if he should be a Hall of Famer. And Shane Douglas posted something like, "Knew him? Hell, we were travel buddies." And then added James Vanderbeek. Oh. And so people started congratulating James the, the at James Vanderbeek for getting into the WWE Hall of Fame. Hey, why not? It, they could put in the real James Vanderbeek, as far as I'm concerned, because put him <laughs> put him in the celebrity wing. Why not? Hey, but fucking put David Arquette in there. He's a world champion. <laughs> I think Drew not Drew until, carries in and Bob not, Barker, and they made like one appearance each. Not until uh, not until Freddie Prince Jr. goes in. Well, he actually did some some what some backstage I, shit with them, right? Was he a writer or he, something? Yeah, was, that was my point. He was a writer. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm fine. Why not? Fucking yeah, put Freddie Prince Jr. in. There you go. I'm totally fine with it. I mean, if I'm, I'm saying I'm, I'm saying I'm fine with it based on the other celebrities they have in because they made right. one appearance. <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr. actually contributed a little bit. So, right. So we then get a quick cut backstage. And he, was, and he was in Scooby-Doo. <laughs> oh, Jesus. You mean the, the WWE Scooby-Doo mystery? I don't think so. Oh, okay. So we then get a quick cut backstage where we see Stone Cold Steve Austin randomly telling road agent Tony Gurria how pissed off he is about tonight's main event. <laughs> Not really sure what purpose this served, but hey, shout out to Tony Gurria, the only <laughs> New Zealand-born professional wrestler I can think of who didn't gain his fame by licking the foreheads of little children. <laughs> there you go. I, I made a note of that. I said, I'm not sure that Tony Gurria actually knew what Stone Cold was saying. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little bit pissed off. I'm assuming that was what it was. It was something to that extent. Something, but. Of course, yeah. yeah. And then, fuck yes, I can't believe they left this in on the WWE Network, but we actually get an ad for the very product that Sable was hawking <laughs> last week on Raw, WWF Cologne for Men and Eau de Toilette for Women. And no, I'm no, sorry, uh, uh, but... Uh, uh, please, you got to pronounce it the correct way. Oh. It's Eau de Toilette. Oh, yeah, that's probably more accurate, I actually. That's, I believe that's what Shane McMahon said in the last episode. Yeah, he did, yeah. Ooh, the toilet. Yep. 
Was that, I think that was uh, that was T.L. Hopper's catchphrase. <laughs> Ooh, the toilet. <laughs> Speaking of Hall of Famers, um, uh, give, give it time. They're running out. <laughs> this is uh, this is where this is the other part of the show where we talk about how much of a fucking mark I was in the 90s. I uh, I, I saw this commercial and, and I went, what the fuck is this? And then it popped up WBF Cologne. And I am 100 percent sure that I owned WWF Cologne. Yes. In, in the 90s, because I am that asshole. Hey, man, but, if Jesus you're a fan, you got to buy the out. shit. That ad was fucking terrible. Yes, it was. Well, because it's so terrible, I feel like I have to play it right here. Oh, oh because, fantastic. You know, absolutely. And uh, I also need to remind the people listening here, many, many people had to have thought this was a good idea for this to actually <laughs> – for them to actually go forth with a WWF cologne and perfume for women. So uh, and, basically and, – And this commercial. And this commercial, yes, which which features, of course, those new generation superfans, George and Adam, remember them? Basically performing some sort of beat poetry. So take a listen to the WWF Cologne commercial. Attitude. Attitude. You take a handful of pain and a touch of disdain, then throw in some taker and pain. Do you smell what the rock is wearing as the man with no sense of smell? WWF cologne for men and eau de toilette for women. It's 100% pure attitude in a bottle. To order, call 815-734-1161. Visit the WWF website or send $19.99 plus shipping and handling to the address on your screen. Smell what you're wearing, daddy-o. Because what better way to sell wrestling cologne than two douchebags in black and white with bongos? Yes. I, I haven't seen, like, I don't know why they bring back George and Adam just for this specific commercial. Right? Like, I, we haven't seen them, I think, in the entire duration of the time I've been doing this podcast. Yeah. Like, literally, the thing I remember them for most is, I think it's one of the slammies when The Undertaker accepts an award. Maybe it's 96 or 97. And do you remember what happens with one of them when he comes on stage? I don't, because I didn't remember. I knew that I recognized them, but I did not remember who they were until you just said who they were. Yeah. Uh, so, Taker wins a slammy, comes on stage. I guess either George or Adam presented the award. And the gag is that one of them pisses their pants. <laughs> so, of go ahead. Go ahead and look that up. Yeah. It's uh, quality stuff. So we then cut to footage of Vince McMahon speaking at Oxford University in England this past Thursday when the WWF was abroad for Capital this was, Carnage. This was so, a pretty great clip. Yes. I actually laughed my ass off at Vince's opening line. So, <laughs> so basically, a woman introduces him, and he gets a huge round of applause. And then Vince says, quote, I would expect a reception such as that for a prime minister or some particular titan of technology. But surely for Vince McMahon... You can do better than that. Amazing. That's a fucking amazing line. <laughs> but I have to ask, when he talks about a prime minister getting a huge reception, would that prime minister also be well-received if he was a <laughs> Pakistani extraction? <laughs> you you make the call. You make the call. Did so we, we then did, head we, back. did we not mention the cheap heat with the tea? With him oh, yes. With I did tea. forget that. At Capital Carnage, where he was like, tea time, what a load of crap. And he like just throws it. He throws the cup of tea. <laughs> he was he, he was big on the cheap heat in London, buddy. Absolutely. Well, I mean, 
any any time you make fun of tea time, I, I think that's I think that's a valid point. Do they even still do? I don't know if tea time is still a thing in England, but we have quite a few British listeners. So maybe they can uh, shed some light on that. I don't I don't recall ever it ever being mentioned the week that I spent in London on my honeymoon. But uh, we were doing very touristy things, so that may be one of the reasons for it. Hmm. Well, and yes, better, better good. Yes, all right, yes. well, tea time. Pip, 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 and a lap. So we then head back to the arena for our next contest, and once again, we have a heel versus heel match, as it is the Headbangers versus Brood members Gangrel and Edge, accompanied by Christian. And first off, Adam, I obviously have to ask, did you pop for the Gangrel fire entrance? Oh, I loved that entrance, man. I got so excited when he was uh, when he was one of the characters in one of the WWE games like a, a year or two ago, and they included the, the Ring of Fire. I was so fucking happy. I loved nice. that fucking entrance. I feel like they could do something similar in the modern day because entrances are such a huge thing in modern day WWE. Everybody has to have like some sort of fucking snazzy, flashy entrance. But uh, yeah, I feel I feel like they could bring back the fire. Although I guess they don't do pyro anymore. But well, they also don't have a stage for it now because it's all that big screen. But I, That's true. I, I felt kind of bad. I felt kind of bad for Edge and Christian on this one because Gangrel comes up through the through the ring of fire on his own, and they're just kind of standing in the entranceway. Yeah, going, we gotta wait for him to come yep. out. They're still doing that. Eventually, obviously, all three of them will come up, right? Uh, come up from hell together. But, uh, but yeah, at this point, it's still just Gangrel. So it does look a little bit weird when, uh, when they they just kind of walk out from backstage, like, hey, yeah, well, we're here. We got the invitation. All right, we're here. Yeah. And also the uh, the 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 end of his entrance, the the bloodbath, as they call it. I remember back in the day, thinking, oh man, how cool would that be? Watching it now, like ten years later or twenty years later, I'm like. God, that must have been a fucking pain in the ass if you were one of the people that got sprayed. Yeah, when he, when he spits out the blood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, on, on that note, when you're talking about you know what was in the goblet, as is customary for any Gangrel match, when he does do that little spitting of the liquid, uh, it completely puzzles the commentators because in this case, Jerry Lawler asks, and I quote, What do you think that stuff is? To which Michael Cole responds, I don't know. We know it's some sort of red substance. <laughs> so, yeah, gee, that's, this is a real mind bender. What red liquid could the vampire <laughs> possibly be drinking? I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking mm. maybe, maybe cherry Kool-Aid yeah. or, I mean, actually, this episode did take place in December, right at the height of cold and flu season. So it might have been Robitussin. I don't know. I, I guess we'll never know what it was because it, it puzzles the commentators literally every time Gangrel comes to the ring. A little bit of NyQuil, maybe some watered-down ketchup. You don't know. You yeah. don't know. What? You think you know, but you have no idea. Oh, I thought you were making an edge joke there, which would actually be very <laughs> very timely since he's in the match. Also, I'll ask right off the bat, did you notice that two-man tornado DDT spot from Edge and Gangrel? I didn't. I actually, somehow, I don't have any notes for this match, so I don't know what happened. But It, uh, it was pretty forgettable. Apparently, I, I do single out that spot though because I think it's pretty damn cool looking. It's actually the second time I've seen them do it, and I, I don't think I've seen that spot since where like two guys get on the turnbuckle and do a, like a two-man tornado DDT. It's yeah. pretty fucking cool. Uh, but not to be outdone, the Headbangers did their own fancy double-team spot when Mosh went to the top rope and Thrasher picked him up for a front suplex, which I guess would be a front superplex, and he dropped his partner right on top of Edge. Pretty good stuff. However, shortly thereafter. Luna Vachon ran down to ringside and started beating on Mosh. Ah, yes. Presumably, yes. This Presumably that being, there, there you go. Presumably this was payback for when the Headbangers and the Insane Clown Posse cut her hair off two weeks ago on Raw, and that causes the referee to call for the bell. 
And then Tiger Ali Singh and Babu came out to confront Luna since she had attacked Babu on Sunday Night Heat last night. And then the rest of the oddities ran out from backstage to provide backup for Luna. And clearly, yeah. this is not overbooked at all. Yeah, that was that was the, that was the next note on my on my thing here after the WWF Cologne was his assistant's name is Babu. It certainly is. That's- Upsetting. Yeah, oh yeah. Speaking speaking of uh, speaking of Luna and her adventures, um, I I was listening to the past couple of episodes leading up to this. I was uh, I was a little worried that I was going to have to deal with the ICP on this episode, and thankfully they're not here. They are not I'm here. Very happy. I'm very happy about that. Which is kind of surprising because they basically turned on the oddities and teamed up with the headbangers. So you would think they would want to keep them together for a couple more weeks to make that alliance a little bit stronger. But uh, no, apparently not. Apparently they just uh, keep an ICP off TV. Yeah, Can't imagine why. Because they're the worst. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so, so Luna, at the end of this, basically, she beats the shit out of Babu. And the oddities then proceed to clean house and get the better of Tiger Ali Singh and the headbangers. And meanwhile, I'm left to wonder while this brawl is going on, where the hell did the brood go? But <laughs> Back down disappear. that hole. <laughs> right, exactly. Back to hell. So anyway, Adam, what did you think of this match and the subsequent schmas with all the participants? Well, well, as I mentioned, I don't actually have any notes from this, so it must have been great. I, I fucking miss Luna. I, I, I talked about this watching WrestleMania 10, too. I fucking miss Luna Vachon. Luna Vachon was great. Um, but yes, very thankful that there was no ICP here. Um, Luna can kick anybody's ass anytime she wants. Jesus. And yes, his assistant's name is fucking Babu, which yes. is horrible. It's fucking horrible. Terrible. Although I, I thought of something retroactively after this match, the fact that Luna kind of runs down to the ring. I think at this time she's actually married to Gangrel, right? So that's a nice um, little... Yeah, I believe so. Nice little touch there. Might not have... I didn't know that at the time, that's for sure. But some, somehow that pairing of those two makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Two weirdos who found each other. Isn't, isn't romance just wonderful? I'd love to know what that courtship was, quite frankly. <laughs> How did Gangrel court Luna Vachon? Well, I think, as a, I think as a vampire, he was probably attracted to the fact that you can very easily see the veins on the side of her head. That, oh, wow. That's a good point. That's a really good point. <laughs> uh, Twilight. So <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I think so. They, he, I think he sparkles when they, uh, when they get together or something. Um, I, I don't know. So we then cut somewhere backstage where mankind is caressing a pile of steel chairs and saying that even though they've been used by so many men... He'll never leave their side. Well, excuse me, never leave their side. But to which I say, yeah, don't worry, Mick. Those steel chairs won't be leaving your side anytime soon either, particularly at Royal Rumble 99 in just a month <laughs> or so. But, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. So after a commercial break, we go backstage where we see Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon, and The Rock confronting Paul Bearer. Vince is telling Bear that he needs to make sure that The Undertaker can coexist with The Rock tonight during their tag match, and Bearer assures them that it won't be a problem. In fact, Bearer says there's no way Taker would try to fight Rock because they have such terrible in-ring chemistry together. <laughs> he didn't actually say that, but it's kind of true. It's kind of true. They, so they, we, did, they did two of these hidden camera, whatever you want to call them, kind of, kind of things. Where they were, There was this one, and then there was one a little bit later with the the outlaws and, and Shawn Michaels and yep. the entire time in both of them, I was waiting for someone to notice the camera and go, Hey, get the fuck out of here and slam yeah. the door shut or something like that. And it didn't happen. And I was very disappointed. 
Well, as that's my theory, as you know, the reason why they can never see the camera, obviously the answer is camouflage. We know this. We know this. That, yep. I need a slow clap for that one. No, that was the sound of me slapping my forehead in despair. Oh, I thought it was a clap. Okay. Fair enough. So we then head back to the arena for our next match, Owen Hart versus a thankfully fully clothed gold dust. <laughs> So, last night on Sunday Night Heat, Owen said that Steve Blackman had pushed him too far, and as a result, he will now be coming out of retirement to face Blackman at rock bottom. Although, I must ask, if he's retiring, if he's unretiring, I should say, to face Blackman, then why is he fighting Goldust on Raw tonight? I I wondered that myself. Yeah, I don't know if that counts as an unretirement for Blackman, then. But yes, indeed, this is actually the first time I'm Owen... Kinda, I'm coming out of retirement to face you, Blackman, and also gold dust tomorrow night. Exactly. So yeah, this is actually the first time Owen has had a televised match since the October 4th episode of Sunday Night Heat, where he basically let X-Pac pin him because he was so distraught over the fact that he had injured Dan Severn. However, has Owen wrestled as the Blue Blazer since then, as some have speculated? Well, that remains a mystery that can certainly never be solved. Yep. And uh, first of all, Adam, did you enjoy Owen's stretching when he came to the ring as though he was rusty <laughs> from having not competed for a while? I, I enjoy everything that Owen Hart has ever done. Yes. It's, it, once again, it's just like those little things that he does that just really help to sell an angle. It's something I didn't really appreciate at the time, but retroactively, when you go back and watch it, you're like, God, that was, that's fucking great. It's so great. Absolutely. And a couple minutes into this match, I had to note an interesting statement made by Jerry Lawler on commentary. So did you hear what he claimed Vince McMahon said about Stone Cold's odds of regaining the WWF title? I, I don't remember. Oh, well, I'll just I'll play it for you right here. Oh, perfect. And you know what? I heard Mr. Vince McMahon has gone on record of saying that there's no chance in hell that Austin will ever be the WWF champion again. Hook of the leg by Owen after the elbow and again Goldust kicks out. He's giving him a chance. Well, I'll tell you what the chance is. Stone Cold Steve Austin needs to win the Buried Alive match at rock bottom in order to qualify for the Royal Rumble. Also, as a side note, this is the first we've heard of the fact that Stone Cold has to win the Buried Alive match at rock bottom in order to qualify for the Royal Rumble match next month. So there's a bit of breaking news there as well. But anyway, well, I, mean, after... I mean, obviously, if you're if you're, you know, if you're buried, you can't be in the Royal Rumble. No, certainly not. But anyway, after a pretty solid match between Owen and Goldust, Jeff Jarrett and Deborah walked to ringside, and this time it was Deborah who was wearing a trench coat. She then proceeded to, to return to, to the delight of King. Oh my God! I think literally when she does the flashing, like, I think doesn't Laura say something like, "It was pink." <laughs> Jesus. Which I th- I think he was talking presumably about her underwear, but at the same time I was like I. I hope he was talking about her underwear and not something else. <laughs> but but we, aren't we supposed to assume that she's not wearing underwear? Uh, yeah, I would think so. Mm-hmm. So may, maybe that was what he meant. Sometimes it's best not to ask questions. Yeah. It was pink and she had a landing strip. <laughs> I don't know. That is, that is probably something all I would say. So basically, I yes. I didn't know she was Brazilian. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> We still haven't, thankfully, at this point, gotten to the the catchphrase that ends yes. up being, you know, Deborah's breasts, which get their own title. So, yeah, that, looking forward to that at some point in the future, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
So yes, Deborah proceeds to return the favor by flashing Goldust, but this also distracted Owen Hart, and Goldust was actually able to roll up Owen for the one, the two, and the three. Will Goldust be victorious again this Sunday in the striptease match? I'm assuming that every male is pulling for him, or, well, technically I suppose they'd be pulling for Deborah if you get to my drift. But uh, anyway, Adam, what were your thoughts on Owen versus Goldust? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that they weren't actually naked, but this is WWF in 1998, so who the fuck knows? Um, yeah. Yeah, I I just love I, – I was a big fan of this. Uh, I enjoyed this match. I thought I, I liked the, the turnaround with the finish – uh, you know that uh, you know. Obviously, Jeff Jarrett is trying to get uh, his revenge for being, you know, caused to lose the first match, and it doesn't, you know, it blows up in his face. And I just, I, I, I enjoyed the way that that played out. And, I, and yep. again, as I always say on this show, I fucking miss Owen Hart. Oh man. Well, we still got a good uh, five months left with him. So, <laughs> spoiler alert. But yeah, pretty, pretty solid match here. And I guess what we can determine here is that. Uh, Goldust is not distracted by nudity, but apparently Jeff Jarrett is since he yeah. lost the match earlier. I guess were we supposed to assume Goldust was naked earlier too? But we didn't. We didn't hear the king say anything like, "I, I saw his golden dick." So I, I don't know. <laughs> I suppose so. But anywho, Goldust is so bizarre because you can't get through a Goldust match without saying the word bizarre. That I guess it just doesn't phase him anyway. So. Right. So Owen Hart is now out of retirement, and he loses his first match <laughs> coming out of retirement. What a shame. So we then cut backstage where we see a split screen of Stone Cold pacing around and Mankind sitting somewhere, presumably in a boiler room. Now, remember that they'll be teaming up tonight to face The Rock and The Undertaker, but it appears that they're not exactly on the same page. And as a side note, Adam, did you notice when Austin was pacing around, you could clearly see a pile of trash in the corner of the hallway where he was? <laughs> I mean, come, come on, New Haven Coliseum janitors, clean that shit. I know it's New Haven, but like, at least make an effort. <laughs> Classy. Yeah. So we then cut to a montage of the WWF's trip to London for Capital Carnage. A few things of note. A couple fans stick it to D'Lo Brown because he's no longer the European champion. And one British fan says that the pay-per-view was better than sex, but I'm just going to assume that he has no basis for comparison. <laughs> so, Adam, did you enjoy this montage? We didn't We didn't talk about D'Lo's tour of Europe during the, during the pay-per-view. No, we didn't. Uh, I think he. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he refers to Big Ben as the Big D. Yeah, go. Which, if if you're listening to this, go back and at least watch that part of Capital Carnage because that did make me laugh. Yeah, him. and I think there's like one guy who recognizes him in the entire yeah. montage. And he talk, doesn't he talk about like hanging out with the Queen or something at some point? Yeah, he does. See, this is—it's funny because he hasn't been the European champion for about two months now, right. and I, I didn't remember. Like, I didn't remember his. I, I always, at this point, just assumed D'Lo was the champion for, you know, like, six straight months or something like that. But no, like, X-Pac has been the champ for, I think, almost going on two months now. So, I, I just it's just because D'Lo, like, so fully embraced that European title gimmick where he would be announced as originally from Chicago, now residing in Helsinki. That, <laughs> you know, I just I just always associate him with the European title. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he made it work. He made that shit work. Absolutely. So, and I, I definitely did not remember Xbox European title reign going on this long. I will say that. Yeah, so I don't think I don't think I don't, I'm not gonna say I hesitate to say he was underrated as a wrestler, but I'd say I'd certainly say that D'Lo Brown was was underrated as a performer, as a character. Oh well, it, it sounds like you uh, better recognize. I, I think, I think, I think you better recognize. Exactly. <laughs> 
I think you do recognize, clearly, you recognize his, uh, his talent. So from there, we head back to the arena for our next match, the Godfather and Val Venus, accompanied by two hoes, versus a team making their Monday Night Raw debut, the Acolytes, accompanied by the Jackal. The Jackalites. So, the Jackalites, exactly. So before the match, the Godfather says that because it's the holiday season, he's going to make a very special offer. Tonight, he will offer his hoes to a fan in the <laughs> audience. And as a side note, only two hoes tonight? <laughs> not not all that impressive. Not much of a hoe train. More like a like a hoe station wagon, well, it seems. If you know, he's giving away the merchandise. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna bring the whole stable with you. That's a fair point. Yeah, and sure enough. Godfather then proceeds to pick some fat mulleted dude in jean shorts to come into the ring. <laughs> he says who, his name is Bob. Who could not come up with a better fake name than Bob? Bob, yeah, exactly. Yes, he says his name is Bob, and yes, the Godfather then indeed does give him both hoes, but judging from his appearance, it's going to be awkward when he ends up slaughtering both of them later tonight. <laughs> that's, that's on you, Godfather. That is on you. And also, also as a random they, side note, oh, they, no, sorry, they, no. Re- they really keep up the uh, keep up appearances too with the fact that Bob takes the hose and then walks up the ramp backstage. Yes, exactly. Hey, he wanted to get down to business. You oh, know? this is a randomly randomly chosen audience member. We'll just let him walk up the ramp. Exactly. And you couldn't hear it on the mic because he wasn't speaking into the mic. But I think at one point he does say no takesies backsies <laughs> just in case. So. And also as a random side note, Adam, do you remember back in 98 when the rumor was that the Godfather-Val Venus pairing was going to be known as Supply and Demand? Actually, that is, I actually have that in my notes. I wrote, was this team actually ever called Supply and Demand or is that yes. something I just made up? Yeah, it was never official, but frankly, I feel like it should have been because that's a pretty solid team name. Perfect. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's that's also the thing I miss from like the uh, the late 80s, early 90s where every team had its own name. And that would have made a lot of sense, supply and demand. You know, these days you just put two guys together and it's like, uh, I don't know, it, whatever, any random tag team name you can think of, or any tag team you can think of these days seems to like not have its own name. It's just like Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose, although that's obviously they were, they were the Shields. That's a bad example. But like <laughs> even, even back in the late 80s, you had like these shitty teams like the Young Stallions, the Killer Bees, and they like nobody pa- gave two shits about them, but they still gave them a team name. Power and Glory. Power and Glory. I like Power and Glory. (laughs) (laughs) That Powerplex finisher is still pretty quality. Somebody should bring that back. Anyway, after BTK Killer Bob takes the hose, (laughs) the Acolytes head to the ring, and Adam, was it also a jarring sight for you to see Farouk and Bradshaw enter to Kurgan's old theme song? (laughs) Right. Without the the symbols on their chests, either. Yeah. I, I was not prepared for that. I had no recollection of them using Kurgan's theme song. But, I'm surprised yeah. they didn't just go back on the network and dub in the bum, da-dum, da-dum, yep. da-dum, da-dum, da-dum. That's too hard rocking for them right now. They're, they're spoke, goths right so. now. Yeah. So amusingly, shortly after they enter, Jerry Lawler says that the Acolytes are in such incredible shape that, quote, they look like they're chiseled out of stone. And I mean, yeah, maybe for Farouk, but uh, with <laughs> Bradshaw, maybe more like chiseled out of butter. And so, as it turns out, once the bell rings, both teams just brawl and beat the shit out of each other outside the (laughs) ring. So, in short order, the referee just throws out the match entirely. Truly a satisfying segment for all. So, Mm -hmm. Adam, what did you think of the Acolytes debut and Bob taking the hose? (laughs) Bob. Uh, yeah, it's like they, it's like they, they looked at the, they, you know, they brought together the ring crew and the backstage guys and went, who's the ugliest motherfucker we got that works for this company? 
Isn't that how uh, Ralph has got the uh, Jericho security job, I think? <laughs> it very well might be. I haven't gotten I'm, to that part yet, so. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure Ralph, as for those of you WCW aficionados, was literally like a guy. He was like some teamster or some ring crew member. And Jericho was like, this guy's fucking fat and has like two <laughs> teeth, so let's, let's make him uh, an on-air character. Of course, I haven't, I haven't gotten to Jericho yet either, so. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry there. to hear that. Getting there. Enjoy him when he first starts because he's like the typical white meat plucky baby face. <laughs> the Lionheart. Right, exactly. Uh, needless to say, that doesn't really suit Jericho too no. much. But uh, yeah, so so I don't know who Bob was. I don't know if Bob is like some ring crew member here or whatever, or just some some dude that thought like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if this uh, fat dude with jean shorts ends up taking the hose? But yeah. And then as for the Acolytes debut, again, this is... I guess this was a match. I think the I think the bell rang to start, and it obviously I think rang to end. But I, I, it was like they were literally just brawling outside the ring the entire time, and the refs like, "Oh fuck it, we're done." Welcome aboard, acolytes. You're zero zero and one. <laughs> That's right. What an impressive debut. <laughs> I, I, I honestly I hadn't I had completely forgotten that they were with the Jackal for any point in time. I I just I only remember them from the Ministry. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, spoiler. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I had forgotten that too. The only reason what I basically had any sort of like semblance of memory of it was because when I was going back and like watching some of the Sunday Night Heat moments, basically like Farouk and Bradshaw were separately having matches on Sunday Night Heat, and there was just a couple moments where the Jackal would approach them and like whisper in their ear after after they lost because they're both jobbers at this point. Right. Um, and then it basically just pays off that eventually they team up together and just beat the shit out of the DOA before a match, which we can actually thank them for. And it's just like, oh, well, Farouk and Bradshaw are a thing now. <laughs> and then we learn that they're called the Acolytes and Jackals, their manager. So yeah, good good times. Such humble beginnings. Such mm-hmm. humble beginnings. And of course, you cannot mention the ministry uh, without, of course, mentioning Naked Midian. <laughs> I've, I don't know who that is. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I haven't gotten to that person yet, whoever he may be. Hmm. Curious. So after, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so after a commercial break, Stone Cold Steve Austin walks to the ring, and I'm gonna go ahead and play his promo for you here because things proceed to get quite interesting. Hmm. For the last few months, here in the World Wrestling Federation, with the title or without Vince McMahon has seen fit to throw everything that he can at Stone Cold Steve Austin, and somehow I've always managed to scrape by. That's all fine and well, but six days from now, at rock bottom, in a buried alive match, in my opinion, the stakes are stacked up higher than they've ever been for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Undertaker, you come out here, talk about sacrificing me, about wanting my soul. You hit me in the head with a shovel. You tried to bury me. You tried to embalm me. And none of that worked. I got something to say to you about that. In the ministry of Stone Cold Steve Austin at Rock Bottom, you can bet your ass that you can expect no mercy from Stone Cold Steve Austin. And that's all I got to say about that. Uh-oh. Oh. Telling you, I got that feeling. Look at 
get that feeling too. So as you heard there, after Stone Cold completed his promo, we saw the Undertaker's symbol lower from the ceiling above the entrance ramp, and we got a Taker voiceover promo as well. And in case you aren't familiar with what his symbol looks like, it's essentially the letter T with an X in the middle. I'm sure the WWF will take great pains to tell you that it is not a cross because, well, at the end of Taker's promo, he uses some of that signature magic of his, lightning strikes the symbol, and yes... It catches on fire. But remember, folks... I don't know why you would compare it to a cross. I I don't know why you would... I don't know. Well, remember, folks, it's not a burning cross. No, (laughs) sir. If you want to see that, you have to hang out with Michael PSAs. But anyway, (laughs) the point here... The point here is that The Undertaker is claiming he will sacrifice Austin to his Ministry of Darkness this Sunday in their Buried Alive match. And Stone Cold actually seemed a bit unnerved by the fact that Taker's cross... I, I mean... Symbol, symbol was burned was burned in front of him. So, Adam, what did you think of this segment? I, I I always thought that this feud was one of the best. You know, even you know during the Attitude Era, really any time. Just the, you've got you know badass Austin in his prime versus you know Ministry Undertaker in his prime. Taker, you know, trying to do mind games against a guy who's mostly, and like you mentioned at the end of this, he gets he seems to be a little bit rattled, but mostly unsusceptible to these things. Plus. Anytime Taker fires lightning, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually, it's funny you mention that because I was thinking the same thing, like in the lead up to rock bottom here in this match, it's basically been three out of four weeks where the Undertaker has been getting the better of Stone Cold Steve Austin at a time when not a lot of guys are getting one over on Austin at this point. Right. You know, I mean, he basically spent four straight weeks making Vince McMahon look like a complete dipshit. And this, at this point, it's basically been in one week, Taker hit him with the shovel the week after that, he's trying to embalm him, and now tonight we get the cross burning, and what yeah, happens b- b- later b- b- as well? B- b- symbol. Symbol burning, yes. Which, by the way, also kind of funny, given that like what happens later on in the show is the moment that gets all the controversy, but pe- we completely forget about the fact that the symbol <laughs> burned, which arguably I would say, if you're going to take offense to either of those, you'd probably take more of an offense to the, to the symbol being burned, but uh, perhaps not. I don't know. But 
Anywho, we'll get to that in just a little bit. But yes, uh, quality Austin promo followed by some quality magic there from The Undertaker, I have to say. that uh, This also, by the way, I'm pretty sure is the debut of The Undertaker's symbol because I think we haven't... We, we've seen it maybe on some of his ring gear, but it's never right. actually been pointed out before. This right. is the Undertaker right. symbol, the T with the X in it. So, right. yeah, this is this is the first night we see it. And spoiler, it's not the last time tonight no. we're going to see that symbol. So, you always so knew, enjoy you, that. You always knew it was a pre-taped Raw, too, when the lightning came out. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So, And also something that happens a little bit later, and I'll, I'll, I'll point that out as well, that shows that mm-hmm. it's pre-taped. They go in and dub in a little bit of a sound effect, but... Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I think you know what I'm talking about, but we'll we'll cover that. So after a commercial break, we see a garbage bag carrying mankind walking backstage and talking to himself. He's apparently dismayed over the fact that he has to team with Stone Cold later tonight because he mutters to himself that Austin is, quote, the silliest SOB in the WWF. And from there, Jerry Lawler then references Foley being crazier than Norman Bates since the 1998 remake of the movie Psycho had just come out three days prior. And I think almost everyone would agree, better than the original. (laughs) Or not. And now it's time for our next match, Steve Blackman versus Tiger Ali Singh, accompanied by your favorite name, Babu. (laughs) So, So Tiger is waving the Indian flag on his way to the ring, and before the match starts, he actually smacks Blackman with it behind the referee's back in order to gain an advantage. However, I will say after that initial attack, this match was literally... All Blackman. Yeah. No joke. This was this was a glorified squash victory for Steve Blackman, which is kind of hard to fathom since Blackman has pretty much been a jobber for months now. And for a while, it actually seemed like Tiger may be getting somewhat of a push. But no, after a two-minute match, Blackman hits a bicycle kick, pins Tiger, and scores the three count. Really, really strange booking there, considering, I mean, Tiger Ali Singh basically just went over edge on the Capital Carnage show, so who knows? And I, after the match concludes, yeah, oh yeah, sorry, guys. I was just going to say, I, I, I like how Jack Doan just doesn't give a shit about Steve Blackman in this at all. He was he was being beaten by a flagpole. Jack takes the flag away from Tiger Ali Singh and then just immediately rings the bell. He doesn't check on Blackman yeah. to see if he's okay. He just goes, give me that. Ring the bell. Well, in fairness, no one gives a shit about Steve Blackman. <laughs> so, so after the match concludes... The blue blazer runs down the ramp, but unfortunately, he appears to trip over his costume and fall down on the ground. So Blackman then starts beating on him, but once again, Owen Hart makes the save. Owen slams Blackman on the ramp, then puts him into the dragon sleeper until referees eventually manage to get him to relinquish the hold. So Adam, what were your thoughts on Blackman versus Tiger and the subsequent blue blazer shenanigans? I, I'm very happy that I don't remember much of Tiger Ali Singh. But again, anything Owen Hart does is great. I uh, I'd forgotten that he uh, actually kind of that he actually adopted the the dragon for a while, the dragon sleeper for a while. Um, Just like Dan Severn. <laughs> I stole his career and then I stole his move. That's right. Yeah. Well, if you don't remember, I'm surprised you don't remember the Tiger Ali sing "How Low Will an American Go" segment. I, I because... certainly remember Jerry Lawler talking incessantly about it during this match. Yes, he, he basically names every <laughs> segment that Tiger ever did. He was very focused on that toe jam. Oh, that that was probably the worst one. Yeah, that that was I think that was indeed the low point. And that <laughs> that's saying something because people were also eating dog food and deep throating kielbasas. And uh, I do I do remember that one specifically because I because I remember that chick being on the Howard Stern and me being like, wait a minute. She's yeah. a professional. 
Um, <laughs> you mean to tell me he didn't just take a random woman out of the crowd <laughs> who could deep throat an entire kielbasa? I also, I, I also like Lawler catching Cole in his little trap there. Would you, Which, would, would you eat toe jam for five hundred dollars? No, it'd take a lot more than that. So that you do have a price. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I probably would, not for 500 but I mean, you know, depending on how high you go there, I mean, at some point it would just be silly not to. <laughs> or is that is that just me? I guess maybe that's just me. Hey, Ted DiBiase already proved that everyone has a price, right. so you know what? That's right. And Tiger is basically just ripping off his gimmick anyway, so <laughs> no I, think, I think the point stands. Whole cloth. Oh, yes. So we then cut backstage where we see Mankind still holding his garbage bag. And he enters Stone Cold Steve Austin's locker room. And hopefully that bag contains a new pair of shorts for Stone Cold after he just <laughs> witnessed The Undertaker burn a cross right in front of him. I mean, a symbol. Pardon me, a symbol. Well, yeah, so uh, we then cut well, to a commercial, but... Oh, yeah, sure. I was going to say, we'll talk about it during, when, when we get to the last one of these little segments. But I loved, I, I loved this whole story of mankind just randomly walking around backstage looking for Stone Cold... And carrying the, the garbage bag, and everybody, and like everybody, like what the fuck's in the bag? Yeah, I thought I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the whole, the whole thing tonight. I, I must say, what was in the bag was exactly what I thought was going to be in the bag. <laughs> I must say, they, there wasn't really a swerve there. I, initially, I was hoping that the last time we saw him do this was him pulling a the game twister out of a bag and trying to play it with the wheelchair bound Vince McMahon, <laughs> but. Uh, but it wasn't uh, wasn't to be this time, no. so we, we'll find out what was in it later. It was not Twister, and it was not Shoots uh, no. and Ladders either, unfortunately. <laughs> so we then cut to a commercial, but speaking of Stone Cold, Cole and Lawler then inform us that Austin is interviewed in the most recent issue of Rolling Stone magazine. I actually went back and read this article to see if there were any noteworthy takeaways, and the one thing which stood out to me was the fact that he was still pretty pissed off at the aforementioned Owen Hart for breaking his neck a year and a half ago. Would you like to hear a quick excerpt from that uh, article? Please. I, don't, I should have written down the author. I apologize. Sorry, Rolling Stone magazine didn't write down the author, but here's what was written. Though Austin has been back in the ring once or twice with Owen Hart, he didn't enjoy it and has clearly not forgiven Hart for what happened. Anytime you do something, you don't put another guy in jeopardy, he says. When you do something as potentially dangerous as the pile driver, you got to be careful. Did Hart acknowledge his mistake? I guess, Austin says, but I don't think he really did. Finally, he called me at the house once or twice, but I tell you what, if I'd damn near paralyzed someone, I'd have called him every damn day and said, hell, I'm sorry. So there you go. Apparently, we won't be seeing an Austin-Owen-Hart feud anytime soon, or uh, ever, for obvious reasons. So yeah, I actually do kind of remember this back at the time, because I was thinking like, oh shit, you know, he, he's still pissed off at Owen about that whole thing. Like, it was a year and a half ago, but yeah, I, I think the only time during this timeline when we've seen Owen and Austin together was literally back, if you if you go back to the February No Way Out pay-per-view, or <laughs> No Way Out of Texas, yeah. the main event was like a 10-man tag where it was it was uh, DX and uh, Savio Vega filling in for Shawn Michaels. <laughs> right. And, and on the other side, it was uh, Stone Cold and Owen Hart, and I think uh, Ahmed Johnson or somebody somebody else like that. But that was the only time I remember seeing them together was that that No Way Out main event. So now you know Owen, yeah. or I should rather I should say uh, Stone Cold had no interest in ever working with Owen again. <laughs> if uh, if I'm looking at the correct article here, it looks like it was, uh, and I'm going to guess that I am because it's dated December 24th, 1998. Uh, there you go. Oh, Christmas was, Eve. It was a gentleman named Chris Heath. Chris Heath, Chris was Heath. The author, there we go. The author of that uh, of that article. Well, there you go. Thank you very much, Chris Heath, for that uh, that contribution there. 
So pretty big stuff because, as I said last week, Stone Cold and The Undertaker were just on the cover of TV Guide last week, and now Austin's not on the cover of Rolling Stone. <laughs> this issue would be Jewel, I believe. Yes. That doesn't, yes, that doesn't give you enough of a time capsule there. Um, but, I mean, it is you know a prominent feature in the magazine. They talk to Stone Cold. So, yeah, the WWF is, uh, is really fucking blowing up at this point in time, needless to say. So we then go back to the arena for our next match, Mark Henry, accompanied by D'Lo Brown, versus Draws, accompanied by Animal. And I will note that Henry enters to Delo's theme song, and as I mentioned before, his video still says The Nation in it, <laughs> even though they've been broken up for about two months. Clearly, he has trouble letting go. And also, Adam, did you notice that Draws has apparently taken Hawk's old shoulder pads, put masking tape over Hawk's name, and written Draws <laughs> on it? I, I, did you see that? I didn't I didn't catch that. I was too busy wondering why Tony Chimmel was introducing them as Legion of Doom Animal and Legion of Doom Draws. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, you got to drive the point home that Draws is a full-fledged Legion of Doom member now. <laughs> and also speaking of Hawk, at the start of the match, Cole casually tells us <laughs> you're probably thinking the same thing I, I am. I did. I have a note about that. He just casually tells us that Hawk is at home recovering after his suicide attempt, and the matter-of-fact way he says it is just kind of hilarious, where it's just like, yeah, Hawk tried to kill himself. This is what happens on our show. Yeah, no, I, no big deal. I, I'm also 98% sure that he almost said that Hawk is in a mental institution and then caught himself oh. and said at home. If you, if you, I, I may just be me, but I swear to God, I, I, I heard him go, and Hawk is in a me he, at home. And this also this apparently marks the time when Cole starts losing his voice. Oh, yeah, I, I point that out later, too, because, I mean, honestly, dude, your first fucking time getting the, well, not first time, he used to do, he used to do, like, half of Raw, and then they would bring in Lawler for the other half, but, like, your first time fully filling in for a two-hour show in JR's place, and, yeah, Cole pretty much loses his voice for the last, yeah. maybe, hour, half hour, something not, like that. Not the first time it would happen, either, or not the last time, rather, not the last time it would happen, either. I, I wish he would lose his voice, his voice more often. I specifically, I specifically remember. I don't remember if it was a raw or a pay per view, but the end of the end of something where it, with with Cole trying to shout "Stone Cold, Stone Cold" and just having nothing left. Ugh. Well, maybe he needs to start doing some uh, some some voice work. I guess yeah, you, you need some honey and some lemon. There you go. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so, anywho, a few minutes into our match. China walks down to ringside. Now, remember last week, she went on a date with Mark Henry, and as a result, Cole informs us that Henry's sexual harassment lawsuit against her has now been settled. And speaking of sexual harassment, when the camera gets a shot of China from behind, Lawler just just completely blurts out the phrase, Nice cheeks! <laughs> no, no subtlety whatsoever. The king just wants that ass, even oh, though bad. China, even though China is about 15 years older than most of his girlfriends. So shortly after that, Animal distracts the referee and Draws holds Henry's arms behind his back. China then jumps up on the ring apron and Draws tells her to hit Henry, but she refuses. Draws asks her why he didn't hit him, so China nails Draws with a forearm instead. And from there, Henry hits Draws with a power slam, followed by a big splash. And when the Raw Attitude Podcast favorite referee Jimmy Corderas turns back around, he counts the one, the two, and the three. Your winner is Mark Henry, thanks to a big assist from China. And after the match, China starts walking back up the ramp, but she briefly turns around and appears to give a smile in Henry's direction, which causes the world's strongest man to celebrate with D'Lo. It certainly appears as though China enjoyed their date last week, so perhaps romance 
is in the air. So Adam, what were your thoughts on Mark Henry versus Draws with China making her presence felt? Well, it was uh, it was certainly a Draws match. Uh, um, uh, are you making a, a, a tasteless joke there, or uh... I, I don't think so. Okay, just, um... just making sure. <laughs> just just checking. No, there wasn't there wasn't really a lot here. This was you know really just to forward the the Mark Henry and China thing. But uh, I mean, it was it was all right for what it was. And once again, Legion of Doom look like jobbers three short weeks after the Hawk suicide angle, when you think they would want to build them back up after that, or at least build up draws. But no, 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 he's just used as fodder for the Mark Henry China storyline. So good times there, good times. Did you enjoy Mark Henry and China's date last week? I do, I do, I do remember enjoying that uh, when it happened, and uh, Mark Henry beating the shit out of those guys. And, yep. and, of, course, and of course, the dancing. The, the one guy, of course, saying, do I make you horny, baby? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Top, topical references. Once again, topical yeah, you, references. When, when Jewel was on the cover of Rolling Stone and people are making Austin Powers references, then I think, you know, you know what time period we're in, basically. <laughs> so we then cut backstage where a camera catches the New Age Outlaws talking with Shawn Michaels, the big boss man, and Ken Shamrock. They appear to be on the same page, and that would be bad news for DX. And speaking of which, after commercial break, that actually takes us into our next match, and it is an Anything Goes match. DX members Triple H and X-Pac, accompanied by China, versus the Big Boss Man and Ken Shamrock. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, of that commercial break, Stone Cold had his own website? Yes, StoneCold.com. I, I don't remember Stone Cold having his own website. If you, if you type it in right now, it literally takes you to WWE.com. Oh, I'm, sh- I'm sure it does. It is still active. Um, also... If they're, if, if, I feel like DX should should probably remove the New Age Outlaws from their Titantron video if the if uh, if the Outlaws have gone corporate. Yeah, well, they just found out earlier tonight, so you uh, know they they didn't have time. Maybe. I mean, Jesus Christ, if Mark Henry and Delo still have the Nation in their Titantron, <laughs> there's a, there's a big turnaround period for exactly. Titantron videos. There's at least a two month turnaround. <laughs> So, so early on, both teams actually stuck to a standard tag match format, but after about a minute or so, that completely went out the window and it turned into more of a tornado tag match, but then for some reason, referee Mike Kyoto then did start lecturing Triple H and telling him he needed to exit the ring, so apparently this is an anything, sorta kinda goes match. <laughs> more, more on that later. Oh my god. And shortly after that... Shawn Michaels and the New Age Outlaws emerged from backstage and came to ringside to get a better look. And, for maybe once in his entire career, the newly corporate Billy Gunn actually gives me a bit of a chuckle because he yells at Triple H to, <laughs> to cut his hair. And, funny enough though, when Triple H eventually did go corporate in real life, he actually did cut his hair. Yeah. So, like, I guess Billy was on to something 14 years in <laughs> so advance. That's what I wrote. I mean, Billy Gunn yells, hey, cut your hair at Hunter, meaning he could see into the future. That's right. He knew it was going to happen. On a similar note, what do you think Shawn Michaels would look like with short hair? Well, didn't he have the, the Dutch boy haircut when he won the uh, the title at Elimination Chamber that first time? Survivor Series <laughs> 02? Weird, wasn't it? Fucking Dutch boy haircut, man, and you'll be yeah, able I'm to think, tell. I'm thinking like modern-day triple-edged short hair. That'd be fucking weird, Ooh, wouldn't it? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I actually remember back in the day, I think it was King of the Ring 97, when they were teasing like a Bret Hart-Shawn Michaels rematch. Initially, they were going to do... Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart, and they eventually kind of caved in and didn't do it. But the stipulation, one of the rumored stipulations, I think, was that it was going to be hair versus hair, or it was going to be a ladder match, and basically Shawn Michaels was supposed to lose and lose his hair, 
and then they completely went back on that. So that's a that's a fun little time capsule that uh, that doesn't get a lot of play. But yes, they were teasing the the Brett Sean when uh, Sean was, or I should say, when Brett was first doing the Heart Foundation angle. Pretty sure that was King of the Ring '97 when they were there was allegedly going to be a hair versus hair match, and Sean was hmm. due to lose his hair. So. Huh. Yeah, Shawn, Shawn Michaels' hair at the 2002 Elimination Chamber was kind of like a shoulder-length job. He didn't have like the you know the ponytail or anything like that. But I'm talking like a like a heartbreak kid crew cut situation. Buzz cut. Be, it'd be it'd be weird. It would be really weird. I'm sure somebody could do a Photoshop of that to see what uh, HBK would look like. Anybody anybody listening to this right now? Your mission, should you choose to accept it, let's see HBK with short. Just superimpose his face over the current Triple H's face, and, and yeah, you're good. Exactly. That's all we need. Oh, yes. Now, also, Adam, I don't know if you noticed this, but there's a moment during this match when you can see Shawn Michaels walk over to Billy Gunn as though he was going to whisper something to him, but then we can clearly see that he's licking Billy Gunn's <laughs> ear. Now, did, did you did you notice that? I totally noticed that. Incredibly bizarre. I, I put a picture of it up on our Twitter, at Pod. so definitely check that out if you get a chance. Or, better yet, uh, don't, because it was kind of weird. <laughs> So bizarre. Oh, the click. Yeah. Oh, that crazy click. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, back in the ring, the big boss man then Irish whipped X-Pac off the ropes, and HBK helped out by pulling down the top rope, causing X-Pac to sail to the floor. And back in the ring, the boss man and Shamrock were now double-teaming Triple H, so HBK grabbed a chair and tossed it to Shamrock. And so, let's pick it up from there. And now it's two on one inside the ring. Hey, look, Michael Cole, don't get personal. Don't let this get to you. Anything goes. And X, X look at this. Yes! <laughs> Shamrock with the chair. The commissioner gives the chair. Billy wants it. Billy wants it. Oh, he wants to really make a statement. Badass wants the chair. He wants that chair. Hey! Boss man, by the way, looking better here than he has on any episode of Nitro Mania of this far. Yeah, he lost a lot of weight. He did. It's yeah. good. I, I was actually saying on one of the other previous episodes that if you want to talk about right place, right time, the boss man who was basically completely not being used in WCW gets hired by the WWF and put into the Austin versus Vince angle right away. Right. So right. talk about talk about right place, right time. Let, let's not talk about that Hell in a Cell match, but we can... Uh... Everything yeah. else. That's coming. That's coming in a couple months. <laughs> and so speaking of boss man, so what he does in this clip is he basically holds up Triple H. Ken Shamrock was going to swing the chair at Hunter, but the newly corporate Billy Gunn asked for the chair so he could do it himself. But then Mr. Ass clobbered Shamrock with the chair instead, and we <gasps> saw that it was all a ruse. The outlaws were pretending to go corporate, but they are still very much a part of DX. Now, what I don't understand is how the referee immediately calls for the <laughs> bell in yep. an anything goes match as soon as Billy uses the chair. So, yes, yeah. it appears that we just had a disqualification in a no disqualification match. Did I somehow yeah. did I somehow switch over to Nitro by mistake? <laughs> no, I, I made that note as well. Yeah. How, how could you not? It's so, so bizarre. 
And also, as you could hear in that clip, Michael Cole is clearly losing his voice on yeah. commentary at this point. I mean, Jesus Christ. The fact that he was choking so much in his first show replacing Jim Ross, it makes me think that Cole obviously just doesn't have a future when it comes to calling Raw. Yeah. Don't think I so. Also, I also think the clip that I was thinking of earlier was not about Stone Cold. It was when Mankind wins the title. Spoiler alert. Cole screaming about screaming about that at the end of the at the end of that episode and having no voice whatsoever. I think you're misremembering. That would never happen. Yeah. Yeah. That'll I, put butts in seats. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, speaking, after the match. Oh, yeah, sure. I was just gonna say, speaking of Michael Cole, there was one point in this match where some I don't remember who the who the two superstars were, but somebody hit a hit a knee to the midsection, and Michael Cole yells out, "Big kick to the knee section." Ooh. <laughs> Good lord. So anyway, after the match. All five members of DX pose together in the ring yeah. as HBK flips out at the top yeah. of the ramp. And he is Billy so Gunn, good at that. Yeah, he is. Throwing his hair all over the place. Michaels is a great flipper-outer. He is. And Billy Gunn then grabs a microphone where he says that they have two words for Vince McMahon, and you can probably guess what they are. So, Adam, what did you think of this quote-unquote anything-goes match mm. and the Outlaws swerve? Yeah, so, so DX won that match? I I would say that the out, the, the corporation <laughs> won because it was it was a DQ. So God knows Triple um, H or the, yeah Triple H and Xbox must have gotten DQ'd. Yeah, I, I I would like to think that I would like to think that I didn't fall for this back in the day. But again, as we have talked about repeatedly on the show, I was such a fucking mark in the late nineties that I'm sure that I did. But then, if anybody asked, I would I would deny it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, well, I, I, I mean, I, it seemed like the people in the crowd were buying the swerve. Like they, yeah. they were I'm, buying that the outlaws were joining the corporation, especially that girl who had New Age outlaws on her tits. That's right. Um, yeah. No, I uh, again, I we, we we talked about the bizarre, the just awful finish there, but uh, I thought the match itself was was good stuff, and I, and I, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, looking back on it now with that hindsight, you know, going well, that, that New Age outlaws never turned heel. I mean, you could see you could see that coming a mile away when when Gunn takes the chair, but I think there in the moment, I think it it, uh, it worked really well. Agreed. Yeah, this was that was pretty good, pretty pretty well done. They definitely fooled quite a few people that night, uh, unless of course they were doing some audio sweetening on the uh, on the crowd. But I don't think they were. I don't think they were in this case. So, yeah, well done. And of course, always a good time when you can get one over on the corporation. So, good. stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. The the, the World Wrestling Federation would never would never enhance crowd noise to suit their needs. Oh no, of course not. Not every episode of SmackDown that was pre-taped. <laughs> <laughs> or say the DVD release of the 2003 Royal Rumble. Oh God! Hey, weren't, weren't we at that at, at that show? I feel like we were at that show. Yes, and for anyone who owns the DVD or, or watches it on the network, we were not cheering Scott Steiner. No, no, we I were want, not. I want you to know that right now. We were, however, cheering for the Kurt Angle versus Redacted match. That's yes, right. We, uh, I got on TV at the end of that match. That's right. As did I. You can see us in the crowd. Try to try to find I, us. I didn't want to give you away. That's what's okay. But we're there. You you can actually see us giving a standing ovation to Redacted. Yes. To yeah. nobody. Nobody whatsoever. To, no, to Stevie Richards. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Oh yes. So we then get a quick cut backstage where we see a smiling mankind exit Stone Cold Steve Austin's locker room without his garbage bag, and more on that in just a second. But from there, we go elsewhere backstage where DX are laughing at how badly they pulled a fast one on the corporation. Nothing too noteworthy there except for the fact that X-Pac apparently gets bleeped for saying the word shit. I mean, <laughs> y you just can't trust that guy around a microphone of any sort, can you? Just hey, like, you know, it was a, a pre-tape episode. You can't blame him. Yeah. 
just like last week when he was given a chance to get some mic time talking about like with Shawn Michaels where he was saying, well, how big must your butthole be? Like, uh. <laughs> one line, oh, one God. line about a butthole and the crowd is just like, yeah, I'm not, not, I'm not clapping for that. No. X-Pac Heat. <laughs> yes. X-Pac Heat. <laughs> I feel like lines like that are the reason why X-Pac yeah. Heat becomes a thing. It's quite possible. Yeah. How big must your butthole be? <laughs> I got a question. How big is your butthole after tearing your asshole on a Bronco Buster a few years ago? That's that's my question. Can you can you make that your ringtone? <laughs> How big must your butthole be? That I I want to I want to send you a text message and hear your phone go. How big must your butthole be? By all means, let's do it. Ah, <laughs> oh, good times. And then we cut elsewhere backstage yet again, where we see Stone Cold Steve Austin just now entering his locker room. So apparently he, <laughs> he wasn't even there to begin with when Mankind was inside. So mm-hmm. Austin sees the garbage bag sitting on his chair along with a handwritten note. Stone Cold thankfully reads it out loud for us, and it apparently says, Steve, have a cold one on me. I'm heading for the Rocky. Which, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's kind of my Mankind impression, I guess. Testicular fortitude. Anywho, so yeah, I think what he was going for there where he says, I'm heading for the Rocky, I assume that was like a play on the Coors Lights right. thing, right? Like tap the Rockies, whatever the fuck. Right. Anyway, doesn't matter because sure enough, there are a bunch of beers inside. So apparently Mankind wants what? his tag team partner to be intoxicated heading into the main <laughs> event. Might was not it, be the best strategy. Was it a bunch? Because he only pulled out one. <laughs> I assume there was more than one. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. Austin. You can't, just, you can't just give him one. I just enjoy the thought of, of, of one beer in a huge trash bag. Yeah. It's a lot of ice. You got to keep it cold. That's uh, absolutely. I, I, also, I also made the note, shouldn't Austin be dressed for the match by now? Not, <laughs> not changing during the commercial break before the match? It's a very fair point. And it, it pays off when we come back. Also, where the hell has he been since that Undertaker segment <laughs> with, the, with the burning cross? Where did he go? Cleaning he... the poop out of his drawers. Oh, so there you go. That's right. And so, after a commercial break, it is indeed time for your main event of the evening, and holy shit, it doesn't get much more attitude error than this. Stone Cold Steve Austin and Mankind versus WWF champion The Rock and The Undertaker, who is accompanied by Paul Bearer. So, early on, a brawl breaks out between all four men, but interestingly, we get the opposite pairings you might expect, as Austin and Rock square off with each other, while Undertaker and Mankind do the same. And it is at this point that I noticed something interesting. And Adam, let me know if you caught this too. When Taker and Mankind brawl near the commentary table, even though Michael Cole is obviously doing the voiceover commentary, you can clearly see that the person (laughs) sitting next to Lawler is Jim Ross. Did you notice this? Mm -hmm. It's a mystery. Yeah, remember again, this episode was taped on December 1st, five days before JR's mother died and he suffered the attack of Bell's palsy, so he was still seated at his usual position for this show, and Colin Waller taped the commentary the day after the episode aired, but sure enough, JR is completely visible in a few shots here, and not only that, but like when they're brawling near him, because Jim Ross apparently, he does one of his, you know, good God almighty, and you can actually hear his audio at one point (laughs) of him saying good God almighty, so yeah. The The day after? The day, well, did I say the you, day after? You just said Lawler and Cole recorded the day after the episode aired. Yeah, oh, sorry. That's, uh, that's talent right there. That's, that's, oh, well, yeah. I'm, now I'm getting back into some more Inception shit here. <laughs> I'm, I'm fucking myself up because I'm, all this is just too much for me to, to keep track of. Right. But my, my point was proven. Austin comes out late to the start of the match because he was too busy fucking changing because he didn't change until the commercial break before the match started. That's true. You gotta be prepared for these kinds of things. He actually did the same thing at Capital Carnage too where everybody was brawling (laughs) and and then he came out. 
So, anywho, all four men brawl around the ring for a little while until order is finally restored and it turns into a standard tag team match. And true to Paul Bear's word from earlier, The Undertaker seems to have no problem teaming with The Rock as they both frequently tag in and out while working over Mankind for the majority of the match. In fact, Mankind played the face in peril for so long that eventually Stone Cold couldn't take it anymore. After Rock hit Mankind with a rock bottom, Austin ran into the ring to break it up, and from there, however, The Undertaker went after Stone Cold, and they both started brawling outside the ring. Meanwhile, Ken Shamrock and the Big Boss Man ran out from backstage and started beating up Mankind, so I assume we have us another disqualification. (laughs) Boss Man actually ends up handcuffing Mankind to the top rope, which enables The Rock to mercilessly beat on Foley with the Boss Man's nightstick. And while that was going on, Stone Cold was outside the ring choking the Undertaker with the cord from one of the cameras, so, out of desperation, Taker grabbed for the ring bell. He then smacked Austin in the head with the the wood side, not the the bell side, with the wood side, but the sound effects people were nice enough to go back and dub in the sound of a ringing bell anyway. For what reason, I don't know. Did you happen to notice that? They they used to do that every single time it happened. <laughs> yep. And it always drove me fucking crazy. Yeah, especially in this one, you can clearly see he hits him with the other side, not even the bell side. So it makes no goddamn sense. Clank. Yeah, right. I mean, that's dumber. That's dumber than bleeding from getting hit with the back of a belt. Oh, oh are you talking about R- Royal Rumble 2003 again? Oh. <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> So from there, The Undertaker then clobbered Stone Cold in the head with a chair to even further incapacitate him. And with Austin unconscious, Taker picked him up over his shoulder and started walking up the ramp. And, well, let's pick it up from there, because you probably know what's about to happen next. Austin is out! Finally, what a sight! What a beautiful sight! Stone Cold Steve Austin vulnerable in his head. Remember the shots of the shovel from The Undertaker. Right. What's he doing now? I don't know, but Austin is still not over the concussion that he got from that shovel. And now, The Undertaker, I'm telling you, I got a bad feeling. Where's he taking him? Hey, wait a minute, Michael. You don't think he's going to go and bury him tonight, do you? Hey, what's this? What in the world? Do it! Listen! Wait, wait a minute. What are they doing to him? Listen, what? What are they saying? What are they doing? Austin, he looks like he's coming too. What the hell are they doing? So with Stone Cold knocked out, The Undertaker carried him to the top of the ramp where four hooded druids were carrying a large Undertaker symbol. 
It was the same symbol that Taker burned earlier tonight, except instead of being made of some sort of flammable material, this was clearly a heavy, probably eight-foot-tall metal symbol. So with the help of the druids, the Undertaker then tied Austin to the symbol, and it was raised about ten feet off the ground. We then got the very famous <laughs> visual... Yep, we got the very famous visual of the Undertaker outstretching his arms and rolling his eyes in the back of his head as Stone Cold helplessly looked on from above. However, one aspect I forgot about was the fact that they played another Undertaker voiceover as this scene was going, where he talked about how he has taken Austin mind, body, and soul, and the only thing left for him to do was to bury him alive this Sunday. Honestly, could have done without that part. Would have been better for them to just let the moment speak for itself. But <laughs> I also made a note about that. <laughs> yeah. I went, Taker's a real good ventriloquist. Yes. Uh, but anyway, the takeaway from this final segment is, of course... The fact that The Undertaker seemingly crucified Steve Austin. Now, of course, I put crucified in mm -hmm. quotation marks because, number one, technically the symbol is an actual cross. Yeah. And number two, Austin is not actually put to death, both of which would be <laughs> yeah. – those would be requirements for an actual crucifixion. Yeah. Yeah. However, it, it's much much easier to say Taker crucified Stone Cold instead of saying that he uh, symbolized him, I guess. I, I don't know. Yeah. So. Remember, kids, it's not a crucifixion if it's not a cross. Exactly. So just, get that shit so. right. I was laughing during your I was laughing during your description there because I was in my head after you know tied him to the tied him to the symbol and then raised it ten feet off the floor and in my head it went and then set it on fire again. Yeah, he, that's probably what he should have done, right? <laughs> we, we we saw him do it once already. So yeah, obviously this was a controversial moment at the time, and because it was pre-taped six days in advance, word leaked out on the internet before the show even aired, therefore leading to more speculation as to how bad the scene would actually be when they aired it. So my question is, Adam, did you think this was too far out there even by Attitude Era standards, or were you okay with Stone Cold dying for our sins? I don't know. I, I mean... I said it earlier, this is probably one of my favorite feuds of all time, just because of the, you know, the... the the play between the two. So I, I, I love the hell out of this. I, I also, I talking about the match itself. I, I love the way the match played out. You mentioned it briefly. You know, they went with the pairings that weren't facing each other at the pay-per-view, you know, so it's a typical, you know, go home. Here's a tag match of the two main events. You know, these are the guys in the main events. Now they're going to tag by the pay-per-view and how you said they didn't really, we didn't get rock and mankind. We didn't get Austin and undertaker until like the very end when it was less about the match and more about selling the pay-per-view. Exactly. And, I just thought this whole thing was just beautifully done. I never had any kind of issue with the, the not crucifixion, the, the symbolization, as you put it. I like that. I think we'll stick with that. Yeah. Um, I, uh, like I said, I loved, I loved everything about this feud. I have no, no issues with it whatsoever. Absolutely. It's definitely a very memorable moment. And I think, I think still, I, I touched on it a couple of weeks ago with the embalming scene. I didn't think that one held up as well. I yeah. think this still holds up really, yeah. well, really well. Like you said, it's one of those, it's one of those iconic images, you know, everything, you know, everything bathed in purple, you know, you got the, you got stone cold up in the air, you know, swearing his ass off at the undertaker standing yeah. there, you know, like you said, with the, ar with the arms out and the hands, you know, the hands open toward the skies and the eyes rolled back in his head. It's just, it's one of those iconic images of the undertaker of Monday night raw. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, I'm assuming your mileage may vary as to how offended you are by this. If you're if you're more of a religious persuasion, it might be, you know, it, it could probably still offend some people going back and watching it. But obviously, I, I still think it's pretty, pretty fucking cool. And yeah. to, to piggyback on what you were saying there, Austin actually looks 
kind of scared when he's up there, which, which may actually be a shoot for all we know. But, <laughs> um, but I mean, like he does again. This is something we're not really used to seeing from Stone Cold, where he's right. being uh, Taker is just getting the better of him almost every week, except for last week when they put Bear down the sewer. But Bear's, I mean, uh, Undertaker's constantly getting the better of him, and it looks like. Not not only with the quote unquote crucifixion just now, but also earlier in the segment where the symbol burns, Austin does look kind of scared of what's going yeah. on here, yeah. as as hokey as it may seem with these antics of the burning symbol and the crucifixion. But I mean, Austin does a fantastic job putting over the Undertaker as a legitimate threat because I'm, oh, yeah. I'm I'm sure there's yeah. you know a lot of respect between those two guys at this point because Taker oh, sure. being you know Taker being the quote unquote locker room leader having and, been at the company for like seven years no excuse me eight years at this point so yeah and I mean and that's the other thing about it is it is it is with any other guy if if, if it wasn't Stone Cold or if it was a guy who who was taken less seriously or a guy who wasn't able to you know kind of sell things as well as as Stone Cold can you could absolutely see this falling into well, that's some hokey fucking bullshit. Why the fuck would, why, who would, why would you ever do that? But it's not because it's, it's, you know, the undertaker and it's stone cold, Steve Austin. It is two guys who, like you said, everybody you know has the respect of everybody who are, you know, two, two of the best in the business at this time, just, you know, doing, doing their thing. So if, if it, it absolutely could have fallen down that hole into, into garbage, into just dumb shit, but, but I don't, I don't think it ever did. Yeah, Totally. And I, again, I don't know how, how religious Stone Cold and the, and the Undertaker are in real life, but they both agreed to go along with it. So, so props to them for that. Obviously, we know that uh, Taker's, uh, Taker's wife is quite religious. I think, that, I think that's been pretty well established right now because she's – I think didn't she used to have like crosses and shit on her, uh, on her outfits when she would come to the ring? Who, Sarah? <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know who that is. I mean, certainly we – We'll never know who that is, and she'll certainly never end up pinning Diamond Dallas Page. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, in in conclusion, I again, as I said, the crucifixion. I'm, I'm going to call it that. I don't give a shit because that's what a lot of people still call it. The yeah. quote unquote crucifixion. Still an amazing moment. Still yeah. awesome. All these years later, the voiceover is not awesome. Yeah. One one thing I will note though. And I, I could be reading a little too far into this, but when when the voiceover comes on again, that's fucking stupid. But the voiceover is Taker saying, you know, I've taken Austin, mind, body, and soul. Uh, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but was the part where he says mind, was that when he hit him with the shovel? Was body when he <laughs> – was was body the attempted embalming and was soul the crucifixion? Was that what they were going for, do you think? It could be. I think – I think so. I, I again, I could be reading too much into this, and again, this is you know twenty years down the line, and I don't think anybody's ever actually explained this. Maybe I I'm bet. reading too much into it, but I feel uh, like I, that's what was going for there. I, I bet though. I bet if you asked Vince Russo, he would take credit for it. Oh, of, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Maybe I'll maybe I'll tweet him and ask him about that. Like, hey, hey, Vince, when you said mind, body, and soul in the Undertaker Austin feud, were you talking about the, the, the shovel, the embalming, and the crucifixion? Clearly, you were, right? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm again, I'm a pretty big wrestling nerd, but uh, you know, people at home, I'd actually like to hear your input on that. Actually, the, the actual fans of the Raw Attitude podcast here, if you think that's what they were going for, just let me know because I think you could make the case that you know he took his mind because he gave him a concussion with the shovel, he took his body because he literally kidnapped Austin and tried to embalm him, and then I guess you could say taking his soul, maybe, maybe on the crucifixion, if if he actually did crucify him, I guess you could say he took his soul up to heaven or down to hell presumably for the undertaker i don't know but uh i will i will welcome your input if you want to tweet me or send me an email so 
Anywho, again, big thumbs up on the crucifixion angle. And it is a tough act to follow, I will admit. But with that being said, we are not done yet. So on that note, Adam, let's take it to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed them seeds back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. I freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been thugging. Vinny Paz got more hoes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas out of my fucking mind. It won't let me back in. Cause yeah. I was down before the heights like Dusty Rose and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now I'm rocking Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster plucking. Chickens when they clucking. Cause WWF stands for women where we fucking. I'm not going to lie, I was a little disappointed that there was no extra attitude this week. Uh, well, I mean, last week we had about fucking like eight or nine <laughs> minutes. It was legit like eight or nine minutes of extra attitude last yeah. week. Well, what, what could you really do other than just watching some stagehands get Steve Austin down? Yeah, oh, that's, I hadn't actually thought of that. That's a good point. How, <laughs> how long did they leave him up there for? Until everybody was gone. You know, really, like, just ruin the mystique as if, like, the druids just, you know, took their hoods off and they're like, okay, we got to get him down. We're the, we're, one, of, you know. one of them was Bob. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh, yeah, he probably was. <laughs> oh, man, good times. Anybody, if anybody was ever actually at that show on that fateful night in New Haven, just let us know. Just let us know. But anyway, now I'm going to segue into the ratings recap. Now, last week it was a pretty easy victory for Raw by the score of 5.0 to 4.25. And this week, well, it was also a handy victory for the WWF, likely propped up by the buzz from the crucifixion angle six days in advance. So despite being pre-taped, Raw's rating actually increased to a 5.14, while Nitro dropped down slightly to a 4.16. Yeah, Every so often you can play that pre-tape into your favor. Just seriously, in this case, they definitely did. Now, however, despite WCW's struggles as of late, this episode of Nitro drew a whopping 32,067 fans to the Houston Astrodome. Now, granted, probably quite a few comps there, but still, that's obviously a very impressive number for an episode of Nitro. And Adam, this is the point of the show where I discuss what happened over on Nitro. And of course, as the host of Nitro Mania, I can think of no one better to lend some insight. So let's go match by match, and you can tell me if you would like to watch it, because obviously you're <laughs> you're going to end up doing it in about two years anyway. In about two, yeah. <laughs> so we open the show with a tribute to Hulk Hogan because, you know, he's retired forever. And after that, Scott Steiner came out and cut a promo, and because they were in Houston, he stole a line from Full Metal Jacket and said that Texas is only good for two things. <laughs> Steers and queers. Yes, of course. He had to go there. And if you want more cheap gay jokes, tune in to next week's episode of the Raw Dude Podcast as well. Yeesh. But okay, so let's get into the matches on the card. Diamond Dallas Page defeated Kendall Wyndham. <laughs> Norman Smiley defeated <laughs> Prince Iakea. Rey Mysterio Jr. defeated Silver King. Wrath defeated the Renegade. Yup, he's still around. The Renegade is still around, but the Warrior isn't. Horace, <laughs> Horace and Stevie Ray defeated Chavo Guerrero and Disco Inferno. Glacier defeated Perry Saturn by disqualification. Yeah, Glacier's still around too. Lex Luger defeated Emery Hale. Chris Jericho defeated Bobby Duncombe Jr., the Giant defeated Scott Putsky. And hey, remember how earlier, actually, we, we were talking about Ground Zero earlier. Remember that? The pay-per-view where Bret Hart beat the Patriot? Do you remember on that same pay-per-view where Scott Putsky had his only pay-per-view match and got his <laughs> kneecap dislocated up into his thigh? Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. 
that go back and watch that because that's pretty fucking gruesome. <laughs> his his one and only match on pay per view in the WWF. Brian Christopher fucking ruins his career, and then Booker T defeated Conan by disqualification, so Conan re- retained, I should say, his World Television Championship. Scott Hall versus Scott Steiner ended in a no contest, and I should also note that they said all throughout the broadcast that Goldberg would be facing Bam Bam Bigelow. And then they didn't even do the match. <laughs> Kevin Nash ended up brawling with Bigelow. Then Bigelow brawled with Goldberg. And security ended up separating them with the fans lovingly showing their appreciation for this angle by pelting them all with trash. Also, by the way, yes, you heard that correctly. They've been teasing Bam Bam Bigelow as a legitimate threat to Goldberg for a few weeks now. And we're in late 1998. And at this point, Bigelow looks like he's probably close to 400 pounds. He can't even wear the singlet anymore. He's rocking a giant black t-shirt, which is never a good sign. Yeah. And on top of that, now, judging from the incredibly negative fan reaction, you would think that WCW would learn their lesson and not screw the fans out of the main event they promised in front of such a large crowd who you would want to come back the next time here in town. But, uh, well... Let's just say that they may end up repeating this very same blunder very soon. <laughs> so, so Adam, host of Nitromania, does this sound like an episode of Nitro you'll be looking forward to reviewing roughly two and a half years from now on your timeline? Oh, boy. Uh, you, you mentioned that they did a big video tribute to, to Hogan. They did one on an episode uh, that I recently watched for an upcoming, uh, oh. for an up, for an upcoming episode. God, it was painful. It was bad. What was, what was the tribute for? Um, because he, because <laughs> he had gone away. Oh, this is to, this to is to film the, a movie. Is, I don't even know. This is the time before before Bash at the Beach when he just fucking disappeared for three months, and every week somebody mentioned that I'm sure Hulk Hogan is watching from home. Oh, jeez. With with Nitro, I'm surprised that Tony Schiavone wasn't saying, "Tune in, Hulk Hogan may show up at the end, fans." Well, well, Tony Schiavone is not. Is, we've only just gotten to the two hour to the first two hour episode when Schiavone gets on commentary, and even then, it's only for the first hour. So uh, okay, we haven't quite gotten there yet, but uh, that's a pretty yeah, big milestone because that that two hour, the first two hour episode of Nitro is the is the episode where a certain someone shows up yes, from out indeed. of the crowd, right? All it right, sure, it sure is. Boy, so well, you'll get that uh, again if everything goes according to plans with uh, the Slamboree episode. You'll get that next Tuesday on the Rundown feed. But, Talk um, about the the right episode mm-hmm. to start to start off a bang when you're doing two hours. I mean, geez, right? I had a feeling going into it when they st- when I started talking about how you know starting on that date it's going to be a two hour episode. I'm like, I bet that's the one. I yeah. bet that's the one. Indeed, um, it was. As for as for this episode of Nitro, if they're doing if if they're doing poorly, why book the Astrodome? <laughs> well, I mean, they still they still filled it pretty nicely, mm. I guess. Mm. But, I mean, it, it is kind of, I guess, well, I mean, the tickets could have gone on sale, I guess, a couple months prior when they were still, not necessarily at their apex, but when they were before still Halloween, Before Halloween Havoc. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. When they were still able to to, to sell 30,000 seats before people saw Halloween Havoc, clearly, yes. Did or, they do WrestleMania at the Astrodome? It just surprises me that, oh, that they would that they would do a Nitro there. They do seems, the biggest big. WrestleMania at the Astrodome, right? I think X Seven is is yeah. in the Astrodome. If I'm it not just seems, mistaken, it just seems bizarre that they would that WCW would do a regular episode of TV there. Yeah, I mean, hey, props to them because they can they can go say, hey, you know, look at this. We're still filling, even though our our ratings are going down and they've lost, I think, like six straight weeks now. They're they're still filling the house, so. 
Well, I guess you know they, they didn't fill the house; they got thirty-two thousand, which which is still really good, obviously. But that that's by no means a full house for the Astrodome. Right. Yeah. Nobody pan up. Nobody pan up. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't don't show the upper levels. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there you go. So so basically, you're saying you're you're really looking forward to seeing Bam Bam Bigelow in late '98. I, I am looking forward to seeing four hundred pound Bam Bam Bigelow in a black T shirt. Yes. Yeah. I don't think he can. <laughs> I don't think he can do the moon salt anymore. Call me crazy. Aww. But on that note, let's take it to the raw synopsis. And so, Adam, overall, what were your thoughts on this episode of Monday Night Raw? I mean, obviously, I'm a big fan of this episode. That's why I that's why I asked to be here this uh, this week. Again, I, again, I don't remember if in '98 I fell for the swerve or not with the outlaws. But remembering how I was back then, I'm sure that I did, and then told people that I didn't. I, I think I think we as we kind of talked about earlier. I, I think we certainly could have done without the draws match or the Tiger Ali Singh match, but pretty much everything else I think did a great job building toward the pay per view towards Rock Bottom on Sunday. Like I said, I love the whole mankind uh, Steve Austin thing with him wandering through the building looking for looking for Steve. Uh, I again big fan of the Undertaker Steve Austin stuff that happened here. So uh, I I thought it was a, a great episode. Yeah. I mean, as always with the with these ad tear episodes of Raw, the wrestling isn't really what's carrying the day in most cases. Although Owen Hart versus Goldust was, was pretty solid, but uh, actually the main event wasn't too bad either because you got four guys who pretty much define the Attitude Era right. in your main event, which is really right. cool. I mean, you got you got Rock, you got Austin, you got Foley, and you got Undertaker. So I mean, that's that's a pretty solid main event there. Yeah, um, I would say too. Thumbs, I would say thumbs slightly up. Not a huge thumbs up overall for the episode, but definitely massive thumbs up for the, again, quote-unquote crucifixion angle. And yeah, I, I would definitely recommend checking this episode out for sure. Sometimes yeah. they, they mail it in a little bit with the pre-tape episodes, to be honest, but in this case, they uh, they didn't because that that is obviously a huge angle to, to do on a pre-taped episode. Uh, yeah. And also on your go-home episode before the pay-per-view, the last image you see on Raw is Stone Cold being hoisted up to the ceiling right. with The Undertaker below him. Right. So hugely memorable angle. And again, it really shows, it really is a strong, uh, a strong, I guess what would you say, tie-in, a strong a strong go-home image to, to leave the fans with uh, yeah. before going into, you know, their buried alive match on Sunday. So yeah, really and again, that... Oh, yeah, sorry. And I think I think they used it to their advantage, like we just talked about, by, by you know, having that, having it be a pre-tape, you know, the, the word can get out there like, holy shit, this thing is... You won't believe what the hell happened at the raw taping last week. You I mean you gotta, you gotta, you gotta watch this. Absolutely, I, I actually do vividly remember that from back in '98 when like the news would leak out. Of course, I didn't. I never read the spoilers, but sometimes you would just you know hear them. Yeah. Because you'd go on a website and like whatever, whatever the site may be, fucking PW Torch, I don't know. Um, and there Scoop, would just be scoops. I think I believe I believe my wrestling website of choice was something called Scoops. I remember Scoops. Some, yeah, some guy named Al. Oh, okay. I wonder if he's still going all these years Pro- later. Probably not. Oh, damn. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, I definitely remember the news kind of like leaking out early in advance. Like, oh, shit, oh, they did a crucifixion angle on Raw. Yeah. And then when, when you – I mean, if you hear crucifixion and then you actually see the angle, you're like, oh, that's not really right. – I mean, he just kind of tied him onto it. Right. And also it's not a cross. It's a fucking T with an X in the middle. But, yeah, I definitely remember there being like some buzz about that leading in. So – it's, it was very smart of them to do that. I don't know how often they do this with the pre-tape episodes where they where they do something in advance that they think will get more people to tune in based on the buzz from the pre-taped angle. But right. yeah, smart, definitely, definitely a smart move. So again, I would say thumbs up and, and you say thumbs up as well. Absolutely. And 
If you haven't checked out that angle at the end there, the quote-unquote crucifixion, I highly recommend that you do because it is, again, one of the more famous visuals probably from the entire Attitude Era, I, I would say. Yeah. I mean, um, they used they used it as the thumbnail for the episode on the WWE Network. I know. Yeah, fucking spoiler, by the way. But, same, same thing they did for the two, for the first two-hour episode of, uh, of Nitro. Oh, did they really? Yeah. Well, they, they know what to lead with. Yeah. It's probably in the description, too. Like, uh, you know, you know who makes his first his first appearance on Nitro. But, yeah, so enjoy that, folks. Enjoy, enjoy listening to that episode of Nitromania. And uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Raw Attitude Podcast. And on that note, in fact, I think we can wrap this episode up. So, as always, thank you for listening. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. And, of course, I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at Raw Attitude Pod, or more importantly, write us a five-star review on iTunes because that helps us find an even wider audience. And of course, if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. And now before we wrap up, Adam, would you care to remind the fans of the Raw Attitude Podcast one more time where they can find you outside of this fine show? Absolutely. And don't forget those uh, those photoshops of uh, Shawn Michaels with short hair. We want to see those too. Yes, uh, very much. <laughs> um, yeah, so on iTunes or Stitcher or Podomatic or Podbean or Google Play, uh, just search for the uh, just search for Rundown Wrestling Podcast. It is one feed. Uh, we have five different shows on that feed. Uh, my show, Nitromania, every Tuesday. Uh, like I said, I, uh, I watch an episode of Nitro. I recap it for you. I have special guests for the pay-per-view episodes. Uh, just uh, kind of going through it uh, as someone who knows the history, but also is is seeing it for the first time and just seeing you know how how it feels, you know what's uh, what's going on there, and reacting to things that I can say because I don't know what's really what's going to happen. I know that you know the big the big angles there, but not really the 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 small stuff. There's also like you said WrestleMania Salvation, which is uh, you know our pal Sal going back and recapping WrestleManias, starting with number one. He's up to you know number twelve came out this week or last week. Uh, there's also the Rundown Sit-Down. Jason interviews, uh, you know, wrestling personalities. Recently did an episode with Trina Michaels, uh, former adult film actress, current uh, indie hey. wrestling manager. We've had a lot of New England folks on uh, on that show, a couple of folks from out in the Midwest. So they're doing that. Uh, Troy has NXT Revisited. Now he goes back and watches, you know, the old episodes of NXT that are on the network and recaps those. He's... Uh, just now getting into Roman Reigns uh, right after his debut, and unfortunately a series of Seth Rollins versus Jinder Mahal matches for the NXT Championship. Um, Troy also does uh, Glow Stick, uh, which is a recap of the Netflix series Glow. Uh, so that is all on one feed, the Rundown Wrestling Podcast feed. You subscribe on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, wherever you wherever you are, and you'll get all those shows on that feed. I am on Twitter at NitromaniaPod, N-I-T-R-O-M-A-N-I-A-P-O-D. Uh, if you want to follow me there and give me shout outs there, you can email nitromaniapod at gmail.com if you'd like. Nobody ever does. Do you get emails on your show email? Not a ton, no, actually. Nobody yeah. ever nobody ever emails me. It's, but, it's so uh, much it easier there. to just tweet. Right. Right. But that is uh, that is where I am. Also, uh, this is going up on the 11th, you said, hopefully? Um, yeah, whatever the Sunday is. Yeah, let's yeah. say the 11th. So during Fast Lane is when this is going up. That's right. Uh, next Saturday... Uh, unfortunately, I'm not going as a, to work the show, but I am going as a fan. I'll be down in Philadelphia for the Chikara Pro, uh, the first stage of the Young Lions Cup 14. So if you want to, if you want to hang out in Philly, uh, wow. come find me there. But, uh, 
yeah, I'm so excited about that. It's going to be a blast. But that that is uh, that is who I am and where I'll be. Good, clean, family friendly wrestling. The the opposite of the podcast we just did. <laughs> yes, nobody will be getting crucified at the Chikara, at the Chikara Young Lions Cup. God damn it! Well, I mean, you know, it's it's never a bad idea. That's all I'm saying. So. <laughs> So, well, I have nothing further to add. So as is the custom, whenever a guest host joins the Raw Attitude podcast, I must ask, is there a particular clip you would like me to play at the end of this episode? If not, I'll probably play my own clip, like, for example, Stone Cold Steve Austin discussing the crucifixion angle on his podcast, something like that. Uh, you can certainly play that as well. I just really want to hear Hardcore Holly calling Michael Cole a shithead again. Because that's, oh, always, that's always my favorite. Perfect. Spo- spoiler, for, uh, spoiler for WrestleMania 2000, but you know what? I'm going to put it in anyway. So there you have it. Enjoy those clips, and I will catch you next time when our friend Sal from WrestleMania Salvation joins the show to discuss the Rock Bottom pay-per-view and the December 14th, 1998 episode of Raw. Once again, huge thank you to Adam. Would you like to come back for a record fifth time at some point? I'll, I'll be back anytime you want to have me. Oh, beautiful. There we go. So now it's official. There will be a fifth time. Sweet. Uh, but yep, so enjoy those clips and I, mean, I will I, catch you. I, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I already called a, I already called a future episode, but uh, we're not quite sure you were going to make it that far, but uh, so there'll be at least five. I can tell you that. There you go. Yeah. The, I think the episode <laughs> you called was, which one was that? Was that in 99, the one you called or was it further down? The, the higher power. Oh, there you go. Yes, that's right. <laughs> oh boy well that that's i think june of 98 so or 99 yeah, so rather so we're looking at 2022 for for that one but uh yeah i think so so i'll talk to you then <laughs> yeah but six months away on the timeline so yeah that'll be that'll probably be somewhere around the yeah around um i don't know whoever whoever the president will be in 2022 then we'll uh yeah we'll, we'll get around to it then right but anywho so enjoy those clips and i will catch you next time I mean, do you have any plans to, to do that? If he did it 24-7, I'm going to do it 48-14. And how about I start with you? No, that's, that's quite all right. Quite how about right. I could start with you right here and right now? No, it doesn't matter to me, Michael Cole, because I will break your ass in half, you little shithead. Well, I apologize, I, ladies and gentlemen, for that remark. That. that was a very classless remark by Bob Holly. Teddy, you remember the night I remember when the that. ministry yeah. uh, hung, uh, hung me up by that metal cross? Yeah. Boy, I tell you what, man, uh, they first showed me that big-ass metal cross, and uh, they hooked the cables to it and pulled it up there to the ceiling, or as high as they did anyway, yeah. off that metal grill stage. And I looked at that damn contraption, <laughs> and I'm like, hey, man, I said, this motherfucker ain't going to fall, right? right? Right, Because I'm standing on a platform on that crucifix, and my arm's out here to the side, and they're strapped down. You know, so if that thing falls, I can't. You know, first of all, the thing weighs several hundred pounds. Yeah, yeah. It's a big-ass piece of metal. And so if one of those cables snapped, it's not like I can, you know, just jerk one of my arms free and stop myself. Plus, the crucifix weighed several hundred pounds. It doesn't matter if I got them free. Anyway, right. I was going to get crushed because I could not stop that weight. So I, you know, I asked several questions about, hey, the safety of it. Would it fall? Blah, 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 blah. No, we're good. So anyway... We go out and do the gig that night. Uh, Undertaker gets me there. He ties me down. I'm standing on the little platform that I have to stand on. And all of a sudden, man, I think the lights went down, and they started pulling that cross up. And Undertaker kind of went into his routine. I guess he was down there posing the Undertaker thing. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Paul Bearer was there. All I remember, Teddy, is 
being up about, I don't know how, how high they took that cross at that time, 30 feet, whatever it was, 10 feet maybe. But it was up in the air. I was yeah. suspended. And obviously, you know, I was just like, I was just standing there with my arms out uh, in a pair of trunks. And it was weird. <laughs> it was real weird. I think they might have had the purple lights going about that time. And I just kind of, I hate when people use the word it was so surreal because it's a cliche. Right. But a surreal would would have to be the word that I might use there. And I just kind of zoned out. I kind of tried to put myself like what was really going on maybe back then when they did that uh, many, many years ago. And so I was just up there just kind of zoning out, tripping, and just kind of uh, – and you, you, that's in a, you, when you're in a moment like that, Teddy, w- what are you going to do? Because you can get up there – and you're gonna act like you don't like it. And you're trying to pull your arms and flail around. That would be a stupid sell. Yeah, that, that's not gonna translate. So the thing was, you know, I was there. There was no, there's no getting out of it until someone got me out of it. Yeah. So I just went up there, stood on that platform, <clears throat> and kind of went into a trance almost. And it was a very uh, weird, spooky feeling. And the crowd was tripping. And then finally, I don't even remember, you know, when they let the thing down and they unstrapped me off of it. But anyway, it was a real weird experience to, 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 I guess, sum it all up.